of the Royal of the Lions UK podcast episode 200 it's a double century and this is the Royal of the Lions UK podcast I'm Matthew Turner along with Tom Wilkinson and special guest the man of steel from sideline report and yard barker Kurt Steele is in the house we've also got Jeremy and Chris from Friday Detroit Luke G as well as Ant coming in later on in the show boys how you doing hey I'm doing great man thanks for having me on how you doing Tom Oh, good. Uh, it's been a while, so delighted to be back. All right. We've got a completely open show for you guys today. So we've been canvassing for mailbag questions. If you are in the live chat and you have a question, just make sure to uh, give it an at Roar the Lions so I can see it and we'll get it in the show. No agenda today whatsoever. We've got some notes on the uh, OTAs and the press conferences, and there's like one bit of news about potentially a trade for Swift during the draft that never happens. But you know what? Never mind. Let's crack on with this. And there's no need for any preamble. That's a waste of time at this point. Let's get straight on with the show. Kurt, man, it's so good to have you here. It's been a long time since I've talked with you, but it's been your first time on here. So I, I don't know if there's anyone who hasn't listened to Lines on the Prowl or anything like that. But if there are people right. who haven't listened to you before, just tell us a bit about you. Yeah, well, um, I just ended a two and a half year stint as the host of Detroit Lions on the Prowl. Um, shout out to my guys over there, uh, Wolver Lion, coached by Jones and uh, LL Cool Torrance, and of course uh, Valerie Bordeaux. Uh, she is the proprietor and owner of the of Detroit Lions on the Prowl brand. Uh, I was brought onto the show by um, her late husband Jim Bordeaux. And if you guys don't know about Lions on the Prowl, go over and check it out. Detroit Lions on the Prowl. Um, I'm out doing my own thing, like Matthew said. Um, I'm currently a writer uh well freelance contributor for the sideline report from fan siding and the detroit lions contributor for yardbarker.com uh, so uh writing on both those sites and writing at kurtsteel.com uh, i will be doing some digital content you haven't got rid of me on the digital side just yet but i will be doing some my own digital content over there as well but kurtsteel.com you can find all my content over there and tom's been on my site he helped me with some projects I did over there and getting to know the actual nuts and bolts of what you guys do over here at Royal the Lions was great. And if you if you're not part of their discord, you're missing out. <laughs> this is the, they have the greatest discord, man. It, it's it's really good. But uh, I have uh, striking out on my own. This is my first week uh, away from uh, taking up. From being the primary host over there, I was a host, the primary host for about a, almost a year and a half after Jim passed away. So um, I love my Detroit Lions and the Proud family. Um, I'm over at Lions Nation Unite uh, with you guys doing some content over there as well. So um, if you don't know who Kurt Steele is, go check out KurtSteele.com. Uh, it's spelled C-U-R-T-S-T-E-E-L-E.com, man. I got all my all of my stuff will be right there. You can check me out on my, my Twitter feed. Everything's right there on the homepage. So you can check out my content right there. 
I think the thing that strikes me about you, just to kind of big you up even more as well, is that like the way that you write is really engaging. I know that there's there's so much clickbait out there. There's so many articles that just have a headline that draws you in and there's absolutely no substance to it whatsoever. And the thing that I love about you is that when I go onto an article, I'm actually learning something. And right. that sounds so easy to just say, but I genuinely mean it when I think like there's so many writers out there to choose from and to find someone who actually writes quality. And you said it before we went on, I think, when you said, if I don't know about something, I don't talk about it. And when I do know something, I talk about it. And that really comes through in your writing. Right. Um, I try to give out because I'm a fan like like anybody else, but I try to give the insight when I write. Um, that was one of my instructors said, that's what you try to you try to have insight to the team. I know about the team. Um, I follow the team and I try to write with that same type of knowledge base where I can write what I know. And if I don't know what I want, I won't touch it um, unless I, you know, research it. But why not write about what I know and what I know about the team and what I feel and what uh, goes into my writing is how I feel about the team, what I think they would do, uh, knowing the, the kind of the moves that Brad Holmes would, would, would do or Dan Campbell right with that type of insight, you know, and, and, you know, feel like, Hey, and Lions fans, they want to, they want to read stuff from guys who know about the team. You know, that's why probably Detroit's such a big, you know, a big site. And that's why we're one of the biggest, like, cause they guys write with insight and they know the team inside and out, but I want to get one there one day. So, but um, right now I'm just kind of writing from the outside, from the inside out perspective, you know what I'm saying? Right from what I know and what I think the team would do. And how are you, what, what are you making of the off-season so far? Obviously, the, the draft happened and the Lions went in a certain direction. They, they're they zigging when everyone else is zagging, you might say. What what do you make of it overall? Brad Holmes got who he wanted when he wanted them. You could have jumbled those first four picks and you could have picked those guys in any in that order or in a different order and you would have, it would have been the same outcome. Because he could have took Brian Branch at number 12. And he could have picked Laporta at 18. Then he could have turned around and picked Jack uh, Campbell at the beginning of the second round. I don't know if J- I don't know if Jameer Gibbs would have been there. There was talk about him being one of you know, the uh even with um what's my man? Lewis Riddick was saying that he was high on people's draft board. They said they he was the, maybe even the number one ranked running back in the draft on some draft boards ahead of B. John Robinson because of his versatility. I like the draft. Um, I like the picks. It's um, one of those things where I have to trust. I trust the process. Yeah, I trust the process. And you, and I look at, you know, Brad, has every draft pick been a home run for Brad Holmes? No. But no. But I would say he's he's hit a lot of doubles and triples. <laughs> every baseball analogy, he's 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 had, had a lot of good picks. And I, I trust what he's doing. Tom, we haven't spoken to you very much since the draft, so give us some takes from this offseason so far, because there's a lot of positive energy coming out of the camp. Yeah, I mean, it feels like, I'm sure we'll come to it, the buzziest name seems to be Sam Laporta when it comes to OTAs and some of the things he's doing, which is awesome. Um, excited to hear when when you see some of the guys on the ground at Allen Park hear about just how twitchy and, and quick Jameer Gibbs looks as well. I just think we got great football players, and we can argue positional value and all that stuff until the sun goes down. And I know lots of, uh, lots of people have ultimately, I think uh, Brad Holmes has earned our trust over the past two years. 
Um, and look, if this doesn't go to plan and these guys don't pan out, we'll talk about it and we'll say we should have picked different players and it didn't work out. But right now, I'm just I'm not in the business of trying to the slate the players, the position positional value, any of that. I mean, that's the same for any team, to be perfectly honest, until they've even stepped on the field. So as far as I'm concerned, Brad Holmes has earned our trust. I really like the players we've got. I think almost what you were saying, Kurt, in terms of you could flip the order and things like that. If I was to gamble now on who's going to have the the best production versus where they were taken out of those first four picks, I'd go Brian Branch, and then I might go Sam Laporte, and suddenly you might look at it in that order because they're almost similar-ish um, players in a way. So, uh, And that's only because I was super high on Brian Branch as well. But all in all, I, I love the four players we got at the top. Um, I'm just super excited to see them out on the field. Um, my main... Like main fingers crossed, everything crossed is for a guy like Gibbs, just give me one healthy season. I actually don't mind if he doesn't tear it up as a rookie. What would kill me is seeing him have some of the same issues that that Swift had, for example. Now, if he can just stay healthy, I think he's going to be such a good player for us over the next four years and hopefully beyond. Pretty much every high running back has had injury issues for the Lions in the last like 12 years, right? Going back to Best and LaShore and Carry On and... Like they don't seem to be able to escape it. It's not any sort of curse. It's an it's a position that gets injured often. So I'm absolutely with you. One injury free season, and uh, that would be great. And I guess I kind of have to reluctantly bring in Anthony Fitzpatrick at this point, just just for the name. What's all that about? Um, I just asked him to give me a random name, and this is what it gave me. I, I don't yeah. know what you're talking about. Oh. This this completely random. So yeah, whatever. Hello all. Uh, it's for podcast listeners, King of American Pool is apparently uh, Ant's nickname for today. I swear you've oh, got okay. about 150 nicknames, so you know, why yeah. not make it 151? Exactly. You know, my, my favorite, Jason Statham Jr., man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, actually, I'll revert to that in a little bit. That is my favorite, Kurt. I, I appreciate you giving me that because it's it just feels so right. And he was born literally 20 minutes away from where I live. So that kind of makes it's, sense. So it's just natural. It's in the stars. <laughs> yeah. So for, for everyone, because pretty much no one would have known that Ant came and stayed with me this weekend and we met for the first time ever. So Ant beat me at pool. He was, he was seven, five, oh, no, six, four down with three to play and ran three, three racks off at the end to win at like half past midnight. I was pissed. And then I was pissed. So, you know, <laughs> but it was, a, it was a damn good weekend, man. So cheers for coming down. I can't believe you actually made it back in time. I, I thought you were going to get caught in traffic for sure. No, I've, yeah, I've traveled several hundred miles and just walked home from, I uh, walked about another two, but yeah, I mean, I wouldn't miss this. This is, this is show 200. This is nearly three years of backbreaking work to get to this point. So, of course, I'm not going to miss this show. And, I mean, Kurt's on, Tom's on. I I'm certainly not going to miss a show with either of those two on, you know. I don't, I don't get to see my Tom very often, so, you know. And, you, of course, yourself. You know that, Matt. That's a given. Of course, it's always you, so. <laughs> I see you the most. Left out. <laughs> not at all. Save the best till last. <clears throat> oh, oh, flatterer, flatterer. Um... We're just talking about um, kind of coming out of OTAs now and going into mini camp and just the, the vibe around the place seems really strong. Uh, there was a quote actually I saw from someone which I thought was really, really good. And it was, I can't see who it was. It was Kirby. No, it was Derek Barnes talking about 
it's a whole different vibe. Everyone's flying around now and having fun. However, last year felt chaotic and this year feels calm. Does that not sound exquisite, Ant? I mean, it, it does. In terms of the team itself, that's kind of what you want to hear. So absolutely. But as a fan, I'm kind of the other way around. Like last year, I, you're kind of calm. You're like, there's no expectations. Let's go out there. Hope they win a few games. Hope they look better, yada, 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 which they did do. But this year, and I've been sort of listening into show, everyone's trying to calm down this OTA talk. But me, I'm getting giddy as a school. I'm getting giddy as a kid before Christmas Day. I mean, just the thought of all these plethora of weapons and great players we've got coming. This is, for a lot of it, it's two years of fruition. It's been hard, painstaking work these last two years, watching these guys develop and get to a point where you're really going to start seeing them make the big leaps now. You know, guys like Aleem going to make the big leap. Hopefully, you know, you've got Penne going to make another big leap and... (laughs) We've just got so much. And then we went for the skill players this year, which we kind of really wanted. Jameer Gibbs, I am I am so excited. I, I, I honestly and truly am. I When I was on the Free For All Friday with Kurt the other day, I got really giddy. I said he was going to get about one and a half thousand yards on the season, all, all purpose, of course, and double-figure touchdowns. And I still believe that. I believe he is a very special talent. Let, let me get let me get to a, a specific question on that point because we had okay. a question from where is he? I've got so many questions in that I can't actually find the ones I want now. Uh, I can't remember who it was. I do remember the question though. The question was: Jameer Gibbs, does he get more yards as a rusher or as a receiver? And I felt like that question was an obvious answer to begin with, and then the more I thought about it the more conflicted I got. What do you reckon? Because apparently he's running routes out there like an absolute master as a rookie. So I broke down his 14 as 800 receiving, 600 rushing. Um, So that's for me. I don't think he's he's not going to be a pass block in third down back. He's going to be an in the slot in the game third down back. I think there's going to be three downs when he's going to be used strictly as an offensive player. No blocking, no nothing like that. I think he'll get a lot of touches of the ball and I think he'll get some manufactured ones as well. Um, so I, I think he will get a little more receiving, but I think he will still get his good fair share of rushing as well. And I mean, you know, if Monty is hurt for a game or gets rested, whatever, and he gets full carry, it may be more, but I think just a little bit more receiving, about 200 more. That was Ian Carr on WhatsApp, by the way. Any more thoughts on that, boys? Because I, I instantly yeah. went just rushing because I um, thought primarily that's what he'd do. But, you know, what do you think? I think one factor that was, that was going that's going to contribute to him getting more uh, receiving yards than rushing yards is the six-game suspension at the beginning of the year for Jamison Williams. That's going to put him in a position to – they may need him more in the passing game just because of the fact they're going to miss that weapon um, – as far as Jameson Williams for the first six games, I would have probably put because I think I put them around even. I said I said it, or within a hundred yards of each other. Uh, so um, if you look at that, because I think I said like uh, right at a thousand. So I said like six and four. Um, but if I, if I'm being honest, I think it's, for me the suspension of Jameson Williams is going to contribute to him having more receiving yards because of the first six games where Williams will be out of the lineup. 
Agree. And I think we'll get a pretty good idea going through camp because I, I, I agree. I think he'll be receiving yards just over rushing pretty even, but just a little bit more. I think we'll have a good idea coming out of camp on that because Goff on third down, he likes looking for these underneath guys. He's obviously got that relationship with Amon Ra. Um, if, if, if Gibbs gains his trust early, um, I could see him being taking a lot of, of third down catches. So I like uh, that. I like that. That that the the gain in trust because that's a big thing with Jared Goff. If Jer if if Jared Goff, Goff can't trust you to catch the ball, he's not going to go back to you. You saw that with DeAndre Swift as well. I mean, towards the end, he started having hands of stone a little bit, and he started moving away from it because Goff has sometimes a habit when he checks down of throwing it a little bit high. And so when Swift then has those stone hands, the ball pops up in the air, and that's where some of the interception risk was coming from. So I really. I felt that lack of trust going away, uh, lack of trust affecting the the passing game there. I'm going to go the other way. I'm I'm going to zig while everyone else is zagging. I think I think he could threaten a thousand yard season on the ground. I just think that the Lions are going to want to pummel the ball. I really think they're going to want to run effectively. You hear Ben Johnson in the press conferences talking about if you added no more plays to the playbook, we're going to be a much better team this year because we left a lot of meat on the bone. And where did we leave the meat on the bone? We left it mainly in the running game because we blocked really well, but rushers didn't follow their blocks. And I feel like that's going to be a real point of emphasis, especially in the outside zone game, which is where I think Gibbs is going to excel. So I could see him peeling off multiple 40, 50 yard runs this year. And I think those chunk plays are really going to bolster his stats. And I could see him carrying the ball. I could see us doing 30 rushes a game, split 15 each between him and Monty like why not 50 I mean, 55 offensive plays and, and rush the ball 60 percent of the time like I feel like that's what they want to do I mean I, I can I can agree with that absolutely I think you know his his rushing is getting disrespected I think everyone's so hung up on the fact that he can run routes and he can be a receiver that they've forgotten that he's actually a damn good running back he was the second best running back in the draft this year by some distance for me. So if people see him lining up and they're going to assume he's going to be a receiver, they're not going to respect him at the run. He, he'll hurt them. And he can make things out of nothing. He's got that speed, which will allow him to. So, yeah, it's it, it's going to be interesting. But again, just really excited. Uh, we've got a comment from Geordie Manchin saying he thinks Gibbs will get a 1,500-yard season. He'll get a 500 in the rush, 500 in the pass, and 500 yards as a returner, which I quite like as an answer. I think that's really cool. I, I just want to say this is very poignant that Luke has turned up at this point because we were discussing this the other day as well. Hi, Luke. Yeah, it's time to introduce the biggest hype man in Detroit Lions YouTube history. Luke G's in the building, man. How you doing? Hey, what's going on, family? Hey, listen, sorry I'm late. I got off work later than I wanted to, but still technically on the clock. <laughs> technically. <laughs> technically. Man, it's my man, Luke G. What's going on, Luke? Listen, listen, I join in. The first thing I hear is 1,500 yards, and I went, what? what? Why are we doing this to ourselves? Why are we doing this? These, you, you can have high expectations, but make them more realistic. Come on. Oh, is is Petty Luke coming out? We talked about Petty Luke. I'm, I'm, try, I'm trying to keep him in today, you know what I mean? Because think about it, right? Like, every year since Dan Campbell's been here, the running backs have pretty much had a even or super close split with carries and touches and stuff. So it's like, if you're doing that, it's, you know, the 500 rushing, yes, I can see. 500 receiving, nope. 
500 return. The dude returned one touchdown his whole career. All of a sudden, he going to get here and become Dante Hall? Come on, now. Come on. This seems a little uh, far-fetched. Maybe so. Maybe so. We've got Jeremy Reisman coming in in about five minutes' time as well. So we've got that to look forward to, too. Let's get to some other questions because we've covered off a couple of things already. Uh, I want to leave kick a battle for Jeremy because we know that he loves special teams. Um, let's go for let's go for draft. Let's go for Cantancy. Mike Marine on Twitch asks, "Do you think the Lions passed on him because he's not big enough to stop the run?" Dan Campbell mentioned needing more girth, and you know we couldn't get more girthy than our late third round pick, Broderick Martin. Do you think that was a point of emphasis with Cantancy and why we pass on him, Luke? No, no, I think. I think, uh, listen, the, Brad Holmes has made it clear. And he's not really looking at all these things that we're looking at. He's looking for the talent. He wants the people who can come in and perform immediately and bring the talent. He's looking for uh, guys who he believes can be impact guys off the off the, the stall, right? Like, he wants that. I don't think that he just came into it and went, oh, this guy's a little bitty small one. I don't know if we want to mess with it, you know. <laughs> That's not. I mean, he, he took Malcolm Rodriguez. The, the list goes on and on. He took a small DN who ends up being phenomenal. So it's like, come on, the the height and measurables are not anything to do with it. It's more about the talent. He wants players. Um, it's it's, it's just like uh, what my secretary used to always say. I want football players. I don't want uh 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 selfish people. I can't win with them. You know what I mean? Like can't play with them. Can't win. That's all it is. He wants the talent. And that's what you should expect from him. He's taking guys with the talent that he believes has the talent. Any more thoughts on Cantsy with that? Any dissenting yeah, I, thoughts? I, I think to me, I I really was. It was a workout. He was a workout warrior. He was the workout darling. You're gonna have those guys every time there's a combine. Every year there's a guy. Oh, he worked out better than uh, or the same numbers as Aaron Donald. That Cantsy's not an Aaron Donald. He's just not. The, the talent, I mean, the tape doesn't lie. I mean, if you look at his, if you look at the tape, yeah, yeah, you know, he had a, he's a, he's a, I'm not saying he's not a good player, but he, he doesn't flash the way Aaron Donald did at Pittsburgh. So he's not going to get, he doesn't have the same cachet. Workout numbers are fine. You're going to have those guys uh, every draft that, you know, they work, they work out so great. But when you get them on the field, it doesn't translate. So I think from what you look at what Brad Holmes did and was like, uh, yeah, I want a guy who can come in. He's showing what this project Martin showed me more on his tape than from what I saw on the tape from a can see. Um, and you, you, you look at what the lions wanted and needed. And he definitely got the guys he wanted. Cause he, he, they, he, he think they fit the need for the team. And I think that's what he went for. I think to think Cassie wasn't the guy. I mean, like, look at Lions fans last year. You know, oh, they were – we should draft Malik Willis in the second – with the seven two overall pick. And that's not what the tape – that's not what the game tape told I, I certainly <laughs> wasn't one of them. Scotty. I was me either. I was like, no way. <laughs> but, I mean, you get those because, you know – you get guys that have great workouts, and I, I just think that Brad Holmes is like, eh, you know, I'm not falling for the eye candy. I, I want the guy who is the the actual the the meal and not the eye candy. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Sorry, go on, Luke. 
no, no, I was just gonna say plus Kurt, just to add on to that, you know, I think not only did you hit the nail on the head in terms of how it goes, it's just a matter of if you if I had to be honest, what did I need more? Interior D lineman or linebacker? I needed linebacker. And I'm, I'm I, we needed linebackers. And that's just the that's just the reality. Go ahead, uh, Anthony. No, so, so I think I I agree with you. I think you know it's very calculated by the type of players he goes after. And specifically this year, it was it was certainly players we needed in this draft. Obviously, we needed a linebacker and we went and got the guy we want really high. We did need depth at running back. And we went out and got the guy, you know, we need a guy like that in the system to make it work. And with Broderick Martin, when you do the Martin versus Kansi thing, Martin's more what you need in this team. He's the guy who's going to come in in the middle and help you against the run. And he has the right kind of personality and the traits to do so. Obviously, he started at North Alabama in the FCS. He's worked his way up to QC. He's a guy who has a chip on his shoulder. He proves himself every time he moves up, works damn hard, got all the attributes, and he doesn't miss many tackles which you need first and foremost. He's good against the run. He's got all those traits, and they feel they can develop him into what they need. Whereas Kansi, I mean, maybe we need that guy, but if McNeil's dropped his poundage this year and is going to be the more disruptive guy in them, maybe we didn't need him. Maybe we needed a guy to come in and replace what McNeil's doing. So I don't think it was them just deciding that he wasn't good enough. I think it's it's what they wanted for this team. It's what they needed. So Makes sense. Time to welcome in Jeremy Reisman as well from Pride oh, of Detroit, man. the producer. How are you doing, man? Good, good. It's nice to see uh, all of you, including a couple from uh, Kurt. I haven't seen you in, in a while, man. I hope you're doing good, you? bud. I'm doing great, man. Thanks. I pre- you know, I was listening for the for the royal horns to um to sound when <laughs> oh, Jer- come on. When Jer- Stop it. came on. <laughs> Stop it. Uh, Kurt does that to everyone. That's great. I love it. Yeah. Even Jeremy gets flustered with Kurt. <laughs> oh man, you know, I, I, um, Jeremy's my guy. We worked together before. Um, yeah, he's helped so me before. We're in, the, we're in the same stadium. I should, I should look. You're probably. Oh yeah, there. man. Yeah. I'm, I'm, right, I'm probably sitting at your desk here in his press box. <laughs> so, you know, he's my guy, man. Uh, good to see you, Jeremy. I haven't seen you in a while, but great, great to see you again, man. Yeah. We were just talking then, or just referencing Ali McNeil, and there was a question from Cooldown Rap saying, "Can you think of any other nose tackle who's lost so much weight and moved position?" I really can't think off the top of my head, of anyone who's had such a drastic shift so quickly in terms of where he's going to naturally fit. I mean, he were, when he came out, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you said he's the best nose tackle in the draft. I'm delighted we've got him. He's going to plug the run and has a little bit of pass rush upside. And suddenly, I mean, he's the Levi replacement, right? I mean, until Levi comes back, that's the sort of guy that we're kind of going for there. He's dropped the weight. He's about the same sort of weight as Levi, maybe slightly, slightly shorter, but... Jeremy, can you think of anyone? Because you might have a bit more history on your side with the NFL, at least for the compared to us. So, oh man, I'm I'm not good with NFL history, believe it or not. Uh, I can't I can't think of anything, and I, I think we still have to like kind of wait and see how it all works out with with Aleem, right? Because I, I I think his weight is still pretty high up there. It's just it's it's lean, right? It's being more lean. It's being more muscle rather than than fat, and um, still maintaining some of that explosiveness and maybe even gaining a little bit more. I'm I'm really interested to see what it looks like, you know, once the pads come on. We have mandatory mini camp coming up here this week, but um, it's it's. I mean, you you can see it in the drills here and there, but I really want to see it pop with the, with the pads on because that's obviously makes a lot more of a difference. So, um, you know, you, you always have to be wary this time of year with the you know best shape of his life kind of stories that are coming out. But uh, but at the same time, like it's a noticeable transformation. It I, it does feel like a little bit more. Uh, and, and and it's not just a physical transformation too for for Aleem too because 
Um, I, yeah, you know, I, I, you know, just kind of talking around uh, last year during the uh, the you know when they had that players only meeting right on defense in the middle of the season, and and from what I understand, Aleem was one of the guys who needed to hear that. Like, was one of the guys who said like, "Hey." If we're going to be this defense, if we're going to be this team that's on the rise, that's led by a bunch of these young players, everyone needs to be given it all. They're all and, and and even Aleem just going out and doing this like he told us he wasn't a coach who said, like, you need to get leaner. This is like, I want to do this for me. I want to do this for the team. And, and when you kind of have the wherewithal and, and smarts to take on that yourself and and you know i'm sure he helped i'm sure he had help from like the nutritionists and things like that but um when you have that kind of motivation yourself that is a sign that he's taken a mental turn and that can be just as big as a physical one yeah so, absolutely because he he was he was almost one of the most frustrating players from a fan standpoint or at least mm-hmm. from my standpoint i guess because quite often through training camp and in his rookie year it was the same second year the same he was really one of the buzzy guys. Like you, you heard some of the things he was doing. You got super excited for, obviously there was a need on the interior defensive line. And yet when it came to the games, his rookie season, he was fine, but he didn't really flash. And halfway through the second season, I'd really think it was a similar story. And obviously Mm -hmm. he had that game against the giants and then the flashes started to appear, but for him to feel like he got there himself rather than either it being a contract year or the coaches are, are all over him. I think it's a, yeah, it's a positive sign. I, I really, I have no idea what he weighs. I guess, why would I? But I think it's interesting <laughs> that his testing numbers pre-draft, he was at 317 pounds. On the roster, he's listed at 315 pounds. But then you also hear numbers that he was playing at 325 and then he's cut weight. So actually what the magic number is, I don't really know. I'm not sure it really matters. It sounds more like it's it's about making sure it's good weight. And more importantly, it's it's a mental thing as well. So you could you could see from his college tape. I remember doing it two years ago when we did it all. It was he always thought when it came to the pass rush and when I said he got upside, he was always a yard or two too slow to get to the quarterback, which, which was the thing he could do it. It was just a little slow. So now the weight's gone down. Maybe he might be able to. It's just you know you've got to keep that strength with it as well. And and you mentioned sort of who else has sort of done that transition or whatever. And I remember I, I don't know whether we got asked this one, but I it, there was one guy I looked at. And I'm not for any second any second saying he's like him, but I went back and I checked his scouting report, his problems, how he's adjusted. But Vita Vea, when he came out with the books, he was more of an interior nose type guy. He weighed quite a bit. And they said he has pass rush upside, but there are things he needs to do to get better. And you think about what sort of player he is now. He's a little leaner. We all know him as been a hell of a disruptor who does both in this game. So that, I'm not saying he's going to be him, but that could potentially be the route that he takes. Maybe not to the level, but that that, that will be the thing I would use for that. Right. I'm watching Aleem down like, here. Oh, go ahead, Luke. Go ahead, Luke. No, no I'm saying, I, I just feel like when you look at Aleem, Aleem is probably like one of the better players we have that was on a really bad defense. And a lot of the things that he did got overlooked because we were too busy putting our hands over our face at deep bombs being given up to the secondary. And the reality is, is what he provided for us was was more than what could be put on the stat sheet. You know, the way he allowed for certain things to occur that did free up people and stuff. These are things that I think we overlook in, in a lot of those cases. The the fact that he lost weight wasn't football-related, I think, more so. But for him to be able to be on the field a little bit longer in the health-wise of it, in my opinion, like, he's still a big dude. He's still as fast. He's still quick. He's still stout. I, I just don't want us to get this, this idea that 
Aline McNeil came in and he he he's been a struggling player. That's, that's not what he's been. He's been one of the better defensive players we've had, and it's been other things that have been so bad that you just don't want to see him. Right. Um, I watched him in, in some in college down here because I live in North Carolina. Um, watching him at MC State. Uh, watching him, guys are athletic. Got played baseball. Big dude. I mean, you know, see him on a baseball diamond is ridiculous. But the guy, you know, was was a really good player. Um, he's more athletic than people give him credit for. I just think that I think he's doing that to take the. I think he the 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 body fat reduction was a a step for him. Wanted to take a, a step in the right direction and move his game forward uh, as a pro. You know, you get some guys. You know, it takes them a year or two to, to become a pro, you know, saying, you know, they're still kind of living the life uh, as far as football wise as they did in college. Oh, because because I was one of the best guys in college, it just transitions and it does not. You have to make yourself a professional and it's going to be nutrition and it's going to be making sure your body's in shape the whole entire year. And I think, I think he, he did that. Uh, for himself, I think you said that, uh, Jeremy, just to make sure he he was getting better for himself and making himself a better player. And, and one thing I, I wanted to uh, address, and I heard you say this, Matt, um, the Lions have spent the last two years replacing Levi Anzarike. I just don't think that he's – I don't think he's going to be part of – even although they try to get him healthy, uh, you look at – they've drafted, they drafted Josh Pascal. Now they drafted Broderick Martin, and they brought in guys like Isaiah Bugs. They spent the last two years – replacing Levi Anzarike because he can't stay healthy. <laughs> I'm just looking at him like, I just don't, and this is just Kurt's opinion. I don't see him on the roster this year. Wrote an article, said, that's one of, that's my number one guy who I don't think is going to be on this roster this year just because because he can't stay on the field. I've had back surgery, and the surgery he had, if it's the same, what they're saying he had, that procedure is going to be hard to play a collision sport like football, especially at the size and weight that he is. But I wish him all the, the best. And someone, I read, I read an article and said, hey, it may be an injury settlement for him if he can't get if he can't get on the field by training camp. I thought Jeremy said we got rid of him already. Jeremy, what happened? I thought he was gone already. <laughs> nah. Well, I mean, the latest news, Dan Campbell said, like, they're hoping to have him by at some point in training camp. And and I'm I'm kind of with Kurt there. Like, if 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 he shows up in the middle of training camp, that is not a lot of time to get ready and make your case for the 53 man roster. Uh, you need to kind of, you need like a ramp up period. Right. And, and we're starting to get that. Like I'm watching Levi out there and, and OTAs, he's like working with the trainer. He's starting to run on, on the field. And, you know, at, at, but, but at the same time, like this guy hasn't played football for two years, right? Like just cause he's physically ready doesn't mean he's going to be good. And the lines are, I mean, they're a competitive team. They're going to need someone who's good and ready to go by week one. And, I mean, if Levi shows up two weeks into camp, finally ready to go, I don't think he's going to be good enough to to be able to really contend in any sort of way. So I don't know what you do with that then. Like, the question is, if he's not, like, you think maybe he can still be good, but it's going to be another month or two before he's even ready. What do you even do then? Do you try to fit him on your, pra your practice squad? I don't know if anyone's going to claim him through waivers or not. Do you try to put him back on? I mean, if once you take him off pup, you can't put him back on. So maybe you IR him. Maybe I mean, it, it, it's a tricky situation with him. And so I don't I don't really know what the path to, to making the 53 man roster is um, unless he kind of, you know, once he hits the field, he hits the ground running. I, I'm with Kurt. I think it, it might be a long shot at this point for him to make the team. It, it feels between like he, you and Kurt. 
y'all articles are like the Bible to me. And I, I need y'all <laughs> to write this into existence so we can move on from this. I'm tired of talking about a guy that we never going to see. Right? When we took him, I was a little confused, but I left it alone because they said yeah. Petty Luke was doing too much. <laughs> but I, but but when I see what I see, I see it, and I'm right. Even when I'm wrong, I'm right. But I could have been wrong, but I was still right. And I need y'all to write into it. That's all I'm saying. It really feels like, it really feels like with his rehab and where he is now. Whereas like kind of he was still kind of struggling to walk a little bit when you first see the pictures of him. He's not really moving right. That he needs another year, like to even just get yeah. fully healthy. And so his route might be be the fifty third man. Instantly go on IR, hope you get the actual 53rd man through waivers and re-sign right. them, and yeah. Levi spends 17 games on IR and hopefully he's a contributor in year four, and then you bring him back on Vet Min, and you've got a developmental piece. But that that is like the optimistic side of it for me. So yeah, I, I want to get to one pride 0427 on Twitch who subscribed. Thank you very much, man. Says, hope everyone had a great weekend. Let's go, Lions. And actually, Jeremy, while you're here, because I think you're the only one of us who's actually present at training camp, uh, not training camp, at OTAs. There was a question about just who's who's doing well and who's not right now. And it's early and there's no pads, but yeah. there do seem to be guys who are kind of trending up. And I don't, I'm not sure whether there's anyone necessarily trending down right now because it's too early, but who's, who's looked good out there so far? Yeah, I mean, I think the guys that, that have really stuck out, I mean, Sam Laporta obviously is, has been killing it since rookie minicamp. Um, he's a guy that, you know, I, I'm, I'm really trying to pull back my own expectations on him because, we, I mean, the the mountain of evidence that a, a rookie tight end can't put up 800 yards regularly. I mean, Kyle Pitts is the only one to do it, I think, since 2003 or something. Um, not to say, I mean, you can have high expectations for Sam Laporta because, you know, um, a lot of things you were saying with, with Jameer Gibbs conversation, right? There's, there's going to be a, a an opportunity in those first six weeks without Jameson Williams uh, for him to get a little bit of bump in targets. But it's early in the season for a rookie tight end, so I don't know. It, it, it's tough. Like he, he does look really good out there, though. It, it's the, it's really the speed to me that jumps out, and and it jumps out on at Iowa tape too. It's just like the guy almost looks like a wide receiver out there, um, and and he can he can really turn corners and safeties, not just linebackers, and and you know um, you know dropping edge rushers or anything like that. So uh, well, he's, he's, he's probably... faster than Quintus Cephas, right? Like <laughs> yeah. in terms of forty yard dash, <laughs> right. <laughs> right. It's it's and you see it. You really do see it. Um, so he's probably still my number one uh guy that, that I've seen out there. Um I listen, I, I don't I don't want to talk too much, Jameson Williams, but there is I, I at least have a mild concern of him going and nothing to do with off the field. Yes, stuff. Jeremy, go there, go to the dark side, go all the way to the dark side, Jeremy. <laughs> don't 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 do it slowly, go all the way there, go, go to it. Luke, it's keep petty, keep petty Luke caged, Luke. Keep him <laughs> I'm caged. Sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, the the like mistiming with Jared Goff stuff and and that's the the chemistry stuff. I think that's going to come. I'm not too worried. I'm not. I don't think that you know he's not putting in the work to to get on the same page. I like. I think his work ethic shouldn't be questioned. In fact, um, there are a lot of immaturity issues. I don't think that's one of them. Drops are kind of an issue though. And and we we only saw a little bit of glance of it Amen. in the regular season last year, but man, I've seen it three or four times already uh, this off season, and um, we saw it in practice a little bit last year too. Um, you know, just in the the fifteen minutes that we get each day, um, drops in general, not as big a deal as some people make it out to be, but for a guy that you're you're t- you, I mean you traded a buttload of picks to to get him at twelfth overall, like 
he's got to have a pretty clean game. And so that's something that I, I just, I, I it can't, I can't shake it. It's, it's something in the back of my head that each time I watch him, like, I'm like, all right, when, when is he going to drop this one or when he's going to bobble this pass? And so I'm not saying he looks horrible. I'm not saying he's unathletic. I'm not no, no, saying no, no, he's, no, no. he's an immature stay, stay idiot or anything him. like stay that. With Stay with him, don't 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 backpedal. Stay with it. No, no I just I don't want people thinking that I'm trashing the kid like a lot of these but, other but, people but, are trashing but, him but, for other but reasons. Facts are not trash, yeah. though, Jeremy. Facts are not trash. And, right. and while yeah. everybody celebrates the two long catches, <laughs> let's talk about all the drops that we just ignored. No, we we got to stop with this because guess what? If he was so flawless, if he was so polished, and he was just. just we wouldn't be doing all this unnecessary conversations about D-Hop. We wouldn't be having these conversations. There was concern there that should be there. And if you if and if any person acts like they're they're that this is a, a made up thing, he's just gonna be fine. You're fooling yourself. You're just fooling yourself. And at the end of the day, the biggest thing about him is yeah, he's fast, but who cares how fast you is? You know what's was fast? The guy from the replacements. You know the guy that, that, that worked in the store? He was extremely fast, but if you threw a, a whole entire building at him, he would drop it. Nobody cares when you're fast and you can't catch the ball. Yeah. I mean, he had, fairly, he, he had fairly good hands at Alabama, though, right? I didn't think that that was necessarily a problem in college. But the guys had one year of football. Realistically, at that college or pro level, he's had one year. So... I feel like he needs to get on the jugs machine, take a leaf out of Amon Ra's book. He said to in the in the press conference, which was the most impressive thing I've seen from him, even though even if he was polished to hell, like it takes a strong person with a strong backbone to go up there, answer every question, have a press conference three times the length of anyone else with about 10 different microphones in your face and take it like a man. I appreciate that very, very much. But he yeah. said he doesn't need to prove it to anyone else. He needs to prove it to himself first. And yeah. he's got the example set for him already by by a, basically a rookie. Amaral's out there showing him how it's done. So yeah. keep your head down, work hard. I think you'll get there. But the thing of the to, to Luke's point, he only had one year. So like anyone expecting him to be the polished article coming out is massively deluded, right? We we hoped that he could be the next big thing because receivers seem to translate pretty well into the NFL right now, but it's only been five years removed from, well, you sit down wide receiver year one. I mean, maybe they contribute a little bit, but it hasn't been that long since that was never a thing. So JMO year two, basically a rookie. It's okay to have high hopes for him because he's still the most dynamic player we have. And if he turns into a gadget, a glorified gadget player that you hand it off to or do swing passes with, He's still going to beat a lot of people. So his floor is probably still really high, even if he doesn't translate as much as we want him to. He, right. he can also impact the game without catching the ball. His speed is such a threat that he's still going to put stress on defenses and create space elsewhere. So I agree. If we want him to have 100 catches and 1,800 yards, it's not ideal. Um, he had issues with body catching at Bama as well. It's not how he won. So, And that's not to say, that's not to go full kind of defense of him and expect him to be the superstar next year. I just I just don't see it for all the reasons we're, we're talking about and we've seen. But I still think he can influence the game uh, even when he's not catching the ball. And I still think there's going to be opportunities for him to do it. We might just have right. to live with a, a few drops and maybe not go full Eric Ebron on him when we when we see them. So, yeah. Um, and Damn, he gave all, me Eric Ebron treatment. <laughs> I don't want that. <laughs> That's terrible. Um, but I, I, I want to say, I want to say for the record, great minds think alike because I think I said the same thing about Jameer Gibbs 
getting more touches in the past game with Jameson Williams being on the bench those first six games is going to open up those targets. Thank you, Jeremy, for just, you know, saying reaffirming my thought process. <laughs> I got you. Uh, for Jameson Williams, um, like I said, it's the same thing about Aline McNeil. He's going to learn how, how he's going to have to learn how to be a professional football player. You know, he's he started the process because you know you look at his offseason workouts, working out with the the guys out in California, then working with the uh, um, a receivers coach and uh, working out with with other guys. He's he's getting there. He's just gonna have to grow up. He's gonna have to you know be- become a a professional athlete. Um, the one thing I will say about him with his upside is it's going to make him uh, so much of a like you guys said a threat on the anytime he's on the field he's a threat because of his speed and what he can draw away from a defense so uh but he's gonna you know he's gonna have to learn and he, you're gonna look at um a guy like Antoine Randall L he's gonna have to like pull him in reel him in you know coach him up uh because drops can be drops can be fixed you know hands can be you know work you know you, you can work on your catch and catching you can work on your hands um but the one thing you can't fix uh, on the field is your attitude. And so that's going to be up to him to fix those things off the field and to be uh, right on the field. But you, I, I'm with you, Matt. I like the way that he uh, handled himself in the presser uh, and just was like, hey, it just is what it is. And he, he handled, sit there and handled it like a man. And, you know, he took his lumps. So and he's not going to you know, appeal the expense suspension. You know, he's going to take the six games and ride with it. You know what I'm saying? So, hey, it is what it is. All right, I'm going to put Jeremy on the spot because I'm curious. Jeremy, you you be in the room sometime. Sure. Do you think he took those lumps because Brad Holmes told him to? <laughs> I'm Well, here's the thing. I'm still not entirely certain whether it is, uh, it, whether you can appeal this fine. I, I've, I've heard mixed things um, because, I, I mean, I don't know. It, it, it's hard for me to say. Uh, I don't, I don't think, I don't think Brad Holmes would be like, take, take the suspension. Like, if there was any chance of an appeal and I was Brad Holmes, I'd say, yeah, appeal it. Like, I'd love to have you in three or I'd love to have you in zero. Like, um, I don't see, like, I, I understand Brad Holmes. Like, I, I think what you're getting is like Brad Holmes wants him to like deal with some consequences so that he matures up a little bit or something like that. But I think, right. But I, I would imagine that Brad Holmes would like, all right, you, if, if you can get that down to three, that's cool with me too. Like that, that's enough punishment for you to learn your lesson and for us to get you back in, in, in enough time to, I don't know, play green Bay in week four or whatever it is. Got a question from okay. Dan McGuinness. And I just want to get to this because, well, we've all done content on this recently, but I think it's an interesting way to view it because everyone's high right now. And this guy, he is going to throw some Kool-Aid on the fire a little bit. Dan asks on our WhatsApp group, what's the realistic view on our season? As much as I love the direction we're going in, I feel like it could end up similarly to last year. Would that be a failed season? The ceiling is high, but just worried the hype train is giving off these signs. Hope I'm wrong, as I love the way we're doing things. So the process seems good, but what happens if, you know, a few balls don't go your way? You don't get the rub of the green quite as much as you'd like to. It's still a fairly lucky game when it comes down to it. You know, one bad call here or there really can change games. And, you know, if we ended up nine and eight again, maybe not one and six to nine and eight, but let's just say we hover around 500 and just end up just above it. Is that a failure of a season or is it just part of the process? What what do you guys make of just above a 500 season? I think uh, that's yeah. I, I think that's fair. 
I think that's a fair listen. I got them winning eleven games, right? But I think if they ended up with a nine and eight record, that's fair. Like, and 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 the reason for it being is I have not, and I'm waiting on the articles. I'm waiting on the articles. I'm waiting on my writers and people, my Jeremy's, my Kurt's, you know, all my 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 beautiful people, even Steve out there. You know, we're not talking about the defense enough because this is the real concern for me. I don't know if they've done enough to say that we are a division-winning playoff game-winning team. I don't know if we've done enough on defense for that. Well, I will say this. Um, you can check out my pessimistic article over there on uh, Yard Barker. I wrote an article about reasons why the Lions should be concerned. Uh, fans could be concerned coming into the season. And the defensive line was one of the reasons uh, why I said that. Um, you look at our our defense was historically bad last season. Um, where we, we redid the secondary and you really added one linebacker, but the defensive line is pretty much the same thing as it was last year. I mean, you look at it is, you know, and if we can't stop the run because I've risen firsthand, the, the horrible run defense down here in Charlotte and to watch them get totally demoralized late that late in the season was, was bad. And it was a bad look. It was a bad look on Eric Glenn. It was a bad look on the defense. It was a bad look on the actually organization to just get mad handled uh, by a team that most people thought we should have beat. And that running game just absolutely demoralized, uh, demoralized the fan base really, and, and demoralized the team. It was it was terrible. If we can't get that run defense under control, it's going to be a problem. But then we saw flashes of that, right? Sorry. So I mean, this this is. I said we were going to get maybe up at 12 wins, and this is where I betray my Britishness here because this is probably a line of thinking that someone who knows the game naturally over there would not think along. But for me, you you have to keep making tangible progress as a team. And I think, for me, there's no such thing as next year in this game. People might say we're still a year off, we've still got to build, but things can happen. You know, people can get injured, you know, things can happen. The division is as open as it is ever going to be, maybe in some time this year. We have one of the better teams, you know, we're coming, are we are we were banging form towards the end of last year. We've gone into the draft and into free agency and we have addressed a lot of the major needs on this team. And I know the team needs to gel you know, and, and start playing well, but it needs to start well this year. The, the starts these last two years, what, one win in the first two months of the last two years combined, two years combined, so four months, one win. But I think you have to keep getting better. And with that, I think with the schedule this year, how it works out, we've got, you know, we need to keep getting better and we need to get to the top this year of the NSC North, at least. And you start need to make an inroads because you might not get this chance again. No, no, you all are hype the Bears up more than I do. If they perform well this year, They've got a quarterback, and if our situation, there's all these theoreticals that happen, and you could soon find yourself down the pecking order in this division again. So I think that you have to show tangible improvement this year. I think, and and I think you have an opportunity to do so. The starting schedule is tough, but is an opportunity for you to put a marker down against two teams who wronged us last year, and then the Packers and the Chiefs. I think if you can start well. 12 is perfectly doable, and I think that's what you've got to aim at. I, I don't really want to see 8 and 9, 9 and 8 or something like that. I want to see them keep getting better, especially with this. They're a young team just maturing every year. They should naturally get better, and I would hope they will. And we've gone well in free agency. We've got the senior players in that maybe we've lacked in some positions in recent years. I think there's no reason we can't do better, and we should expect better. But that's just me. And at the same time, not every nine-win um, season is the same. 
I mean, the Giants had nine wins, won a playoff game, and Brian Dayball was now on the top 10 of every coaching list I seem to see, uh, which is another question. But uh, not every nine-win season is the same. Similarly, if we won our first eight games and then went nine and eight, I think we'd ask more questions. So um, there's a lot that can change. Uh, do I hope we're going to win more than nine games? Yes. But a lot of it comes down to what we see on the field. I mean, say we have a bunch of injuries and we only get to nine wins. That can still feel like a win. So uh, it feels almost defeatist to say it's not down to wins and losses. Um, but there are other kind of variables that can affect that. And as you guys mentioned, the difference, if you think we're going to win 11 games, the difference between that being nine or 13 is a couple of drop passes, hopefully not from JMO, uh, and a couple of different bits and pieces. So... Seventy-yard yeah, field goals. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, I'd be remiss before Jeremy goes without getting a question from Dan Haskin. Um, and I think this should be a quick-fire one, actually, because I don't want to spend too long on this. But he asks, and I'll put this in a national perspective rather than local, because I think he's almost there. Will Goff ever get the benefit of the doubt? And I'll frame that by saying, if he's sixth in EPA per play again at the quarterback position... Do you think the national media will actually give him a break? Because I think most of the Lions fans have at least come round to the idea that he's here. Yeah. Whether he stays or not, fine, whatever. But there were people calling for him to be cut. I was one of them 10 games in, by the way. I mean, he was bad, certifiably bad. Um, and at this point, I'm almost at the point where if they re-sign him right now, I'm like, okay, as long as it's for a reasonable deal, I can kind of buy that, which is a bit of a shift. So will Goff ever be accepted nationally? Get some respect. I, I hate I hate to be so reductive, but I think the answer is only if the Lions win, right? I mean, it almost doesn't even matter what he does. If the Lions go out and make the NFC Championship game, guess what? He's a star. He's the guy that you see on the, the advertisements scheduled for the game. Like, it, it's golfers, whoever. Like, that's how you get respect in this league from a quarterback. It's not fair. It's not right. It's not a good way to evaluate a quarterback, but that is the ultimate how you get respect in this league as a quarterback wins and losses simple as that in fact just while we got Jeremy, if i can ask you another quick one i saw it pop up on youtube but frank's toe how concerning is that because obviously he's played through it last year he's still a pro yeah. bowler is this something he can deal with because some people suggested you know next year we might need to look for his replacement or something is, is it something that he can viably go another five six years with and, and still be fine and we not need to worry about it that's really hard for me to answer because because first of all I don't I'm not a doctor I'm not a podiatrist I don't really know um the, the one thing I, I can tell you is like the mental anguish of last season was clear as day every single time we talked to him uh anytime the toe would come up he would he'd be frustrated watching him walk in the locker room from weeks you know like seven on was just like he is barely walking on that thing so um it was bad last year. I don't know how much rest is going to fix it. Again, I'm not a doctor. I think I'm a little more optimistic than than some people are. I know, you know, he had that interview at his charity event and like the word inoperable through showed up there and everyone was freaking out about that. And um, I, I, it, I, I just don't know. Um, I don't know how much pain he's going to have to deal with the year, this year. I know he's obviously willing to play through a lot of pain. Um, but if this is, if, I mean, if this was what he has to deal with annually, what I saw last year, then I don't think no sane person would want to deal with that four or five years in a row. Um, I just don't know if that's what he's going to deal with or not. Um, and, and to be clear, like I'm not, not at all questioning his commitment to football. I think he loves the game. I think it's, it's so 
integral to his identity right now. And and the fact that he does, you know, some of the outdoor stuff, people might think like, oh, well, he has other things that he values in life too. Well, yeah, so so does everybody. Um, so, I, you know, I don't think it would ever be a question of his commitment to football. It's just how much pain tolerance can he go through day in and day out. And it's not just physical pain, right? It's mental pain. He talked about the frustration of not being out there, not being able to play his best, all that sort of stuff. So, I mean, yeah, that could that could definitely build up at some point to a point where he doesn't want to play anymore. Again, it, it's just a matter of how much he has to deal with in the future, how much he's willing to to really go through that. And and the one thing I can say is like that dude loves his teammates. We, we saw Vitae come out and say like, Hey, I tried retirement and I couldn't do it because I love my teammates. Frank is right in that same boat. Like he cares about his teammates that much. So it's going to take a lot to keep that dude out uh, of the game. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't start panicking and say, you know, let's start looking at 2024 draft centers. Of course, I wouldn't start looking at them anyways until about a week of the draft, week before the draft, but, um, <laughs> but and, and, no, and I, I don't like, think, I don't think, I don't think people, Jeremy, people give giving him enough credit. If, if Locke cut a finger off, he'll lose a toe. He'd be okay. We don't need no toe. You know what I mean? One toe. Gonna, no, we're not going to find no career over no toe. It's a toe. Okay. Yeah. We'd be okay. We'll donate him one if it gives him another five years. I don't care if it can be done. I got some nice toes. I mean, they, <laughs> I mean, it ain't gonna match his skin complexion, but it's a nice toe. You're gonna have you're gonna have to turn on your camera for, to, to prove that. I think. Uh oh. Uh oh. Is there a page in existence that proves that, Luke? Somewhere. <laughs> yeah, that's on the deep dark places of the internet, though. Yeah, that's on a dark web. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, Jeremy, you've got the POD cast coming up tonight, right? Yep. Yes, sir. Uh, what gonna, are you talking about? Let's see. We are going to we're going to talk a little JMO. <laughs> uh, there, there's a certain columnist that I would like to respond to that we'll talk about uh, a little bit in the show, and then uh, we'll talk about some storylines we're we're hoping to see uh, during mandatory minicamp. Maybe some things that haven't been covered yet that we're we're hoping to see. We'll come and uh, raid you guys and raid Chris when he gets started <laughs> on the pre-show soon, but. Cheers for coming on, Jeremy. Nice yeah, no. to see you as always. Congratulations to... on 200 episodes, everybody. It's uh, it's it's. There's a reason why I, I choose to come here. It's because you guys are doing a, a good job. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't want to say I, my my time is valuable. I will say that. So, um, you know, it, when people make requests, um, I, I try to be very selective, um, knowing that you know I'm not going to be talking to a bunch of people that don't know what they're talking about. So, um, <laughs> it's it's a uh, and and you guys work as hard as anybody in this business of content creation with lines i it, it continually blows my mind how much you guys put out uh and uh you guys do a really good job with it just very quickly before you go jeremy i know you're going, yeah. but can you quickly give me a percentage chance that of romo making the team because uh, oh. I, i'm, I'm invested i'm invested in this Man, now. i'm invested I, in romo cop and i want this to happen so bad <laughs> what do you reckon the chances are of him usurping both the normal kickers i mean it's not it's not low i, I so the one thing about last OTA is that we were all like literally standing underneath the uprights. Like he was kicking right over our heads and granted, I don't always get that viewpoint, but like those are some majestic kicks, man. Like, and you guys know my thoughts on special teams. I'm not all that excited about special teams. Those are some special kicks, man. And so, I mean, the one thing we need to see is, is how consistent can he be from short yardage? That, that is a, a, a critical part of the equation that I just don't know yet, but I, I don't know if I've ever seen outside of maybe a certain Baltimore game that I witnessed live. I don't think I've ever seen anyone kick from 60 plus that like emphatically that like it. it's not even just that he they, they were accurate right down the middle or that it was long enough. Like it was like perfect rotation. I don't think he missed hit any of 
the what seven or eight kicks that we saw from him. So it's promising. I like I'd probably put it like 35, 40% right now. Ooh. That's enough for me. That's enough for me. <laughs> We'll do it. That sounds pretty good. All right. Fantastic. Jeremy, have a good show tonight. And uh Thanks we'll see you awesome. soon. All right. Sounds good. Yeah. And Kurt, you're on your way as well, my man. Yeah. Yes. Um, yes, definitely. Thank you guys for having me on, man. 200 episodes is special. Um, like I tell you, you guys are one of the most knowledgeable uh group of content creators. It doesn't matter where you guys are from, you guys know your stuff, you know your football, you know your lions, man. And it's an honor to be on here. Uh you can, like I said before, you can check all my content out over at KurtSteel.com. You can check out all my content from Yard Barker, from Sideline Report, and some of the new stuff I have on there. And man, you got some guys over there. Uh, Herman Moore is over there uh, on my page as well. And Tom, you'll catch Tom over there, man. A special, special uh, interview I did with Tom and Ryan over there, man. So go over there and check out KurtSteel.com. You can get your Kurt Steel gear over there as well. You know, I got to do a little, you know, pub. So, so you can boss up and ball out and get to the Lions gear and get yourself some Kurt Steel gear right there on KurtSteel.com. I love that. And now that you're not with Lions on the Prowl full time, perhaps we can have you on here a few more times as well. That is correct, man. I will definitely be down for that, man. And shout out to my DSA family. Luke G, I'm going to holla at you, my guy. Hey, yes, sir, man. You know how it is. Appreciate you. Hey, definitely. Hey, uh, y'all know how I get down, man. Y'all know what you got to do for me. Whatever you do in life, you got to boss up, ball out, and be the best version of you that you can be. Hey, man, I'm going to holler at you guys real soon. Talk to you guys later. Cheers, Kurt. See you, Kurt. Cheers, Kurt. All right. So we got some more conversation. We were talking about kickers. Let's talk about kickers. Carlton on our Discord channel asks the fundamental question that Jeremy alluded to. Option one, better percentage under 50, worse over 50. Option two, slightly worse under 50, but better over 50. And what does it say about your head coach's tactics and style? The Lions, revere, the Lions revere Matt Prater. He was better at long distance than he was at short. So I would say that. I'm absolutely not been biased because I want Romo to be kicker next year, but I, I kind of am as well. But I don't know. I I guess in an ideal world, you want a kicker who's better in short yardage situations because you would like our offense to not be stalling out at 35, 40 yards all the time for the long-range field goals. So, but I want Romo here, so give me the long kicker. And uh, Wait, wait, you we, want Romo here even though they traded for uh, Patterson? Oh, it's a conditional seventh. We can get in well, 2026. You, you wow. can imagine that the conditions are probably he makes the roster, right? If he doesn't make the roster, I don't reckon we pay anything. No. But, you know, whatever. Uh, I've just got news in that the, the Royal Alliance UK podcast have made a tactical substitution. The the number nine, Jeremy Reisman, has come off and in his place, central midfielder, adequate host, Chris <laughs> Perfett from <laughs> Pride of the Joy. One second. I just, I literally just walked in the door. So let me uh, adjust that. There we go. Now we can turn on the lights. Oh, camera failed. All right. Hold on. Ah, fresh, fresh from the Detroit. Doing G- adequate. Detroit <laughs> fresh Met, from the yeah, Detroit, Detroit GP. The, I wish, I wish oh. I, was, I was too busy with family. Oh, I was damn, really I was thinking about going. going up there. No, Me it and... looked fantastic. First Me... first year in a long time it's been back downtown running around the Renaissance Center, but I was uh, without a vehicle and pretty much isolated in Toledo. So, uh, yeah, but I just got back into Los Angeles. Boy, my arm's tired. And now I hear you guys talking about kickers and seventh rounders. So clearly I've come to the right place. <laughs> 
Yeah, man. A seventh so, rounder is nothing, by the way. Seven, I, I know that turned into Antoine Green, who I love this year, but every other year in a seventh is bog nothing. But who, who, what 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 do you prefer? Do you prefer a guy who's going to be money from short range, or do you like the long range kicker? Who who do you uh, go towards? I mean, this is just what we did last year with um, with uh, Cybert and Riley Patterson, wasn't it? Was it not? This was okay. Riley's got the leg, but he doesn't have the 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 accuracy. Cybert is at least you know he he's not going to boom the big ones, but he's going to try to be accurate at least on paper. That's what it looked like coming out of the, out of the, uh, the, 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 the preseason and, and training camp. But I think what we saw is Riley did. I mean, the thing is Riley eventually grew. He just had another chance with Jacksonville and to his credit, he did, uh, he did improve on it, but I will say as a preview for pride Detroit later today, because this is Jeremy's favorite topic. We are talking about Parker Romo. And one of the things I've talked with Jeremy about has been how accurate from long range Parker Romo has been. It's not just that he's accurate. It's that he damn near hit a 62 yarder as well. So like, I, I I'm not going to cry over a, se- a conditional seventh rounder. If Riley Patterson can't beat out a, the, the XFL legend, John Parker Romo or Parker Romo or whatever he prefers to go by, but that's just, that's kicking at the end of the day. You take, you, t- you take the best one, regardless of what you spent for it. I feel like Ants Romo cop really has to take off. Really has to take off. Luke, I know that you're the biggest fan of that trade. So you you think that Riley Patterson's going to win the job, right? I think he is. I mean, listen, you made the trade. You gave up an asset. Those it, it, people look at a seventh round pick in terms of just getting a player there. Those are picks you can package in to move up, as we've done many times before with those seventh round picks. And so I expected that he's going to be the one to win this 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 matchup. I think they. I think they were upset and said when they when they lost him in free they tried to, in free they tried to hide him in the practice squad. It failed. It failed. I, I think the Romo conversation is great. Um, I think all that's beautiful and stuff, but nobody's talking about Romo like that for real, for real. And at the end of the day, I just think that yeah, you gave up an asset for a guy. You go, he's going to have as much of a fair shot to do it, and I think he will he'll take it. Uh, Jeremy's just said we can only have two minutes on kickers. So, so he's so not we, here anymore. I, I, so. I will just say this: we do have <laughs> we do have an interesting uh, range here. We do have Michael Badgley, who knows the Lions in and out. Mm-hmm. We do have Parker Romo, who is, I think, probably the better of them all right now. But I also know that what he has done has been exceptional in the XFL. And if OTAs are anything to go on, he's still gunning for that. And Riley Patterson, who has serviceable NFL time with the Jacks with the Jacksonville Jaguars when he was playing. So it's, it's a, it's going to be across the spectrum. All of them have certain advantages. I just think that Parker Romo is the best leg and I'm not going to cry over a seventh rounder, no matter what it could be used for. It's, 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 it's a few pennies out of the pocket at the end of the day. I I'm sorry. I just, if it's a gamble and I'd rather not look at the kicker thing and say, well, Riley Patterson's getting beaten by Parker Roma, but we spent a seventh on him. So we have to just suck that up. No, it's called a sunk cost fallacy. You kind of, I'm not even sure I use that right, but it's a sunk cost. You just, you just have to, you, you have to just, yeah. So may the best man win. I'll just say that. So if we've gone over our two minutes a lot for kickers, can we talk about oh, the, the one special teams camp battle that really matters that we've not talked about? 
No. Is, is Long Snapper watch back? Did that happen while I was gone? While I was there, we go. Detroit? Jacob McQuaid versus Scott Daly. Can we talk about that one? Because <laughs> Matt has Matt has a very vested interest in the outcome of that one. Is that a real battle, or, I, or are we do are we being facetious here? I want to make sure I'm on the same page. Oh no, that's actually a real battle. That is a real battle. Someone has to take up the mantle of Don Muleback's uh, cursed armor. So oh, someone has God. to win that. Whoever wins, I lose. That's that's what happens. Uh, I'm, I'm so glad Jeremy isn't here anymore. He'd lose it. <laughs> oh, he's still here. He's oh, still I here. I see him in chat. Hi, Jeremy. Um, question from Lost Oceans X, just getting off kickers just after this one. It says, what's your thoughts on keeping two and keeping the camp battle going on a bit longer? Which Why? I... Yeah, exactly. That's that's good enough. I love... you, have 50, <laughs> you have 53 <laughs> spots on the roster. The funny thing about the change in the quarterback rule this year is that you still have to spend a 53rd on a third quarterback mm. if you want to take advantage of it. It's just that you, you you don't need to put them on the inactives. So I think teams are going to go to a third quarterback, which means more stress on a final roster. So that continues. And there's already questions about how many running backs the Lions going to keep, how many wide receivers the Lions going to keep. Now you want to throw a second kicker on top of that? No, I can't I'm do it. Can't do yeah, it. I'm good. <laughs> All right. Let, let's get some any, any GM who keeps a second kicker on a roster should be fired immediately and his car <laughs> can be revoked. That is that's the yes. absolute worst thing you can do in terms of, of a roster spot. You're giving a roster spot to a whole nother kick? No way. Tom, got a bit of a better question for you in terms of meaty content. And it's about the roster battles this offseason. Geordie Manchin on YouTube asks, do you think Benito Jones, Jermar Jefferson, and or Chase Lucas make the roster? These are the guys that I think are the most likely to not make it who are in the mix. What do you reckon on those three, or at least those kind of those battles down there? Because they're they're in a real, real battle for it, especially Benito, you know, has had someone drafted in his spot. Yeah, I really struggle to see a world that Jamar Jefferson's going to make it. And I know, Ant, that's going to potentially trigger you, but uh, we're going to have to see more. Um, with Benito Jones, I mean, who have we lost on on the interior? I don't think we've lost anyone. I think we, right. we've kept everyone and then we've taken... Christian Broderick. Covington's been kind of... I know they play different roles, but they've been... It feels like there's not necessarily going to be enough snaps to go around. Um, and Benito and Bugs obviously were both brought in last year. Bugs had the bigger impact. Yeah, I'm I'm just not sure we're going to see a huge amount. At the same time, it's all there for him. If he performs well in training camp, he'll get the reps. It's not like we're so deep now at defensive tackle. I mean, we have no idea what we're going to get from Broderick Martin. So with all of these guys, a lot of it's going to come down to training camp. If I had to guess, I would say he probably won't make the team. Um, but again, it's going to come down to, are we going to take an extra edge? And I think we have more depth at the edge position and therefore we're probably going to bring in an extra guy there, especially when you've got someone like James Houston, who's obviously more of a almost kind of outside linebacker. Um, I struggle to see that Benito Jones is going to get the reps. That being said, if he, if he plays well in training camp, why not? Who's the, who's the third name? Uh, Chase. It was yeah. um yeah yeah Chase Lucas. So we we hear quite a lot of nice things about him, but obviously he couldn't quite get it together. Now a lot of that was injury last year, especially in the season. Um, 
I mean, lots of competition in the with, slot as well. And I think I read he was going to get some outside reps in OTAs. I don't, I don't know, man. Like, nah. It, it is there a world he makes the roster? Absolutely. If you wanted me to go one way or the other, I'd probably say no right now. And again, maybe he's a guy you try and sneak onto the practice squad and you don't think necessarily is going to get picked up by another team. But I struggle to see, especially with obviously Branch there now as well, um, that Chase is going to get a lot of reps and really make that 53. Dan answer. I'm basically just saying no one's going to make the team ever. It's, it's fair though. Dan Pass just says, is the slot the new bloodbath? It kind of feels that way a little bit. I don't think so, though. I mean, when you, I don't even know if I agree with Tom about Chase not making the team. Like, mostly, we don't. Is he fully healthy? I'm sorry, I, I haven't heard anything about him being a hundred percent and ready to lock and load with pads on. I haven't heard anything about that. And with, with the slot, like, we're going to have a defense that's going to deploy them in different ways. So I think it's going to be a lot of room for them to all get on the field. If anything, we keeping DBs. We, we got too many of them who coming off injuries. I don't see how we can just magically start chopping people. And in, in terms of the slot corner spot, being a bloodbath, how? You got some safeties who can play slot corner. Great. You're going to run three of them anyway. Yeah, I, I have to agree there. I think that from everything we've seen uh, talking about the defensive backs for the Detroit Lions on how they've built this roster, how they approach free agency, how they approach the draft, it's clear there's like there there's DBs, right? Like, okay, you might have a guaranteed corner in Cameron Sutton, but I feel like everyone else is a DB. They are flexible. The 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 coverages they're going to show is completely flexible. And I, I don't think there is a bona fide this guy is the slot. I think what they have is a lot of guys who are specialized in multiple roles, and they're going to be incredibly flexible with them. They're going to give them a lot of different looks at, be it at safety or at at corner slot, wherever they want to put them. And it just, I think it's just going to come down to you roll with the best, the best bodies you've got. You roll with the best talent you've got at the end of the day, rather than what fits a specific like gadget, uh, particular uh, role, singular role. Yeah, I mean, like, 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 Chris, take it one step further, right? Like, let's say, for example, you coming out, right? And mm -hmm. it's, let's say it's third and six. And let's say you decide that Tracy Walker's a starter with Chauncey Gardner at the other safety spot. You got Branch at one slot. You throw whoever you, for God knows what, at the other slot, and you leave your outside that's Mosley and Sutton, right? Mm -hmm. That sounds a whole lot more dangerous than this idea of, who's going to be a bona fide slot corner. You never know what their assignments are when you got those guys with that level of versatility. You can have a guy who can drop back deep with Kirby Joseph and have Chauncey move into the to the the slot to cover the receiver. There's so many like what if, what if the what if that uh the the brand that said there's so many possibilities. I, I can't even think what the hell the, the candy is or whatever, but it, you know it's that commercial is so spot on. You have so many possibilities and combinations you can do with this defensive back room, and it, and it needs to work. It has to work. And I just right. don't see how we can just lock a, a player in, oh, he's a slot corner. I, and and I think no. I think it, I, I always go by evidence, too. It's what Aaron Glenn has shown us. It's how he runs that backfield. It, it is right. flexible. It is malleable. It is a mutant. It changes all the time. So, yeah, I think it's just going to be the best man so, off the but, field. But wait, I, so that, that's where I think – so I agree with you. And that's one of the reasons I don't think Chase Lucas is going to be on the team because I think he is a more limited player in terms of his overall versatility. 
Will Harris, which is kind of a feels like a swear word on this podcast, but it has more word. flexibility. Like my blood pressure right? went up when so, you said Will Harris. It's so, a swear word. So Chris <laughs> has just made my day because effectively what he said is Will Harris's ass is out the door because we keep in talent of players, <laughs> and, not and, versatile players. And that's Speaking what it comes down to. I think I, like, let's be clear. I would much rather have Chase Lucas there than than Will Harris. No, no shade on Will Harris, let's say, but like I like Chase Lucas as a, as a player. I think he's been fun. That being said, he's going to have to kick Will Harris off the team. And I don't know this, but I'm going to assume Will Harris is going to take more special teams reps than Chase Lucas based on their body type, based on their playing style. <laughs> if you are the ninth or 10th DB on the team, and they are going to be the ninth or 10th DB on the team, you need to take special teams reps. And I've got a question for you, which, uh, well, no, so it's, it's just about this, but it just furthers the conversation a bit more. Jamie1948 on Twitch asked, most people, most people, I don't think, most think that Brian Branch isn't going to start this year, but I tend to think he's too good for that. Scheme-wise, what scope is there to have Tracy, Kirby, Gardner-Johnson and Branch all on the field at the same time? It's basically what we're talking about, but can we get all four on there? Yeah, I, I think you can, because, again, they're all very talented and they're all very scheme versatile. And, you know, if, if you're an opposition quarterback and you're kind of looking at targets to throw out there and, and Cam Sutton's on your outside receiver, you know, you've got Gardner Johnson. And then you've got Branch and all these guys back then, Kirby. I mean, you're looking at Kirby as maybe the third or fourth guy, even though he was our top guy on the secondary last year. I I think you put these guys out there because then an offensive coordinator is like, well, what the hell are they going to do with them? Because they are that special at multiple different positions and the schemes they can dial up, great. If if they're just expecting one of Gardner Johnson or Branch to be out there and like, oh, hang on, both of them. Oh, God, what the hell are they going to do? I, where'd, you, where'd you go? So I think there is a world where you do it. I think they'll play five at the back sometimes to incorporate everyone in there and to throw, especially if a team is behind against us and is going to have to start throwing the ball, start taking risks. That's when you can really cash in on it having all those guys out there with me. So, yeah, I I, I think they can. And well, was the question whether that he's going to start, Matt, or did I miss that? Well, it, not necessarily about start. Just can you get all four guys on the field at the same time? Oh, yeah, very possible. Very, I, I mean, I, I can come up right now. I'm not even a defensive coordinator. I play defense, but I'm not a defensive coordinator, and I can tell you at least five ways I will pull it off in a number of different packages that where you wouldn't even know if that person was a linebacker, a safety, or a corner. It's very possible. Yeah, I can I, see it, and I'm, I'm so excited. I cover zero packages that have those four guys on there just sounds so, so sick to me, especially with Gardner Johnson and Branch in both slots. Like, I can't even. That's going to get me too excited. Exactly. There's just so many things you can do there with it. And just to quickly rewind before we move on to what the next question is, Tom did prod me about Jamar Jefferson earlier, which a lot of people do. All I will say about him is, and he's like Logan Stenberg, I went to bat for both of them very hard. And unlike my hair, both of them are still hanging around after all these years. There is a reason. <laughs> there, you still there? Are, there is a reason. I mean, I thought Jamar was toast when Juice Staley left. He's still there. He's been caught. He's still there. They see what I see. There is a player in there. And if it wasn't the injury, his path could have been so much more different here. So I don't think he is a lock to be cut. I think it's going to be difficult because I love Mo Ibrahim as running back three. But there is still a universe where he is still here because he is a good player. So I'm not done with him just yet. 
Definitely. Yeah. I think there's absolutely was... a chance. At the same time, I'm not sure using Logan Stenberg as part of your defense is really helping, though, mate. <laughs> is, he, is, is he not still on the roster after four years? They see something. And, and let us not forget, people trash on him, and, and rightly so. But it was his past game he was rubbish at. He, he was still really good in the run game. He has he has something he can offer this team as depth on the O-line. So, again... Not just going to wrap them out yet, but yeah, probably not. But Jamar still has a compelling case. Running backs get tossed away like yesterday's news, and there is a reason he is still here. After an OC change, the guy who bought him in believed in him and get caught. He is still here. He is still something he can prove to this team. Yeah, I mean, me, I, I can't believe it's just they're hanging on to the hope they that he repeats that 28-yard long that he had against the Pittsburgh Steelers two years ago. But I, I do think that they see something there and they understand. I think he's just been dealt a bad hand by injury. And I know injury plagues all running backs at the end of the day. But I clearly, clearly it's something that you just want, just don't want to just cut a guy when he's down on his luck either. This it's, I, I think, I think it comes back to things we've talked about, especially when it comes to, I don't think Craig Reynolds is a lock on the roster. There's going to be real competition on that that third running back slaughter hell they mm-hmm. might even run with four we've i've we've talked about that before too and i i don't know if they'll roll with four but considering that uh you know what maybe you know you roll the fourth just because insurance for gibbs or something i don't know but i i, I do think that they have seen something in the development of jefferson that leaves them very hopeful i think yeah, we we with far, five last year. Didn't, we, didn't we carry five last year running backs or was it four uh, five, including might have been a fallback. Yeah. Yeah, oh, we got five and or four and Cabinda. Yeah. Four and Cabinda. Um, I think the thing about Jamar, which is going to have him cut, is that as and you rightly said, he was cut and he made it to the practice squad. And the fifty-three man roster game is about who can you make it through, who's still going to be able to stay around if you cut someone. And Jamar's already proven that he's not being claimed by anyone else. And running backs, there's loads of them in the league. So, what? No, Matt. There's not a load of running backs in the league. Jarek McKinnon has he been signed yet? I mean, there's there's players of talent out there, man. Like who have been five years ago? In the case of McKinnon, (laughs) he was good last year. I think when you look at it, though, I think what you said though before that was spot on. Where you said he was cut, nobody claimed him, and he was brought back. He's going to be here because that's they know that nobody's going to claim him, and they know that they can keep him as a reserve at least on the practice squad at the very least. So that's why he's not going to make it. Now, if you go and you cut Craig Reynolds, that's when teams are going to look at him and say, oh, I can use his skill set, right? Like, that's a guy you're not going to be able to hide or stash or do anything with. So, yeah, it makes more sense there. And then with the other guy, whose name I can never pronounce, and I'm not going to play myself like that uh, from Minnesota, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> I, um, Ibrahim, he wants to say it as I, I I know I'm opening up the Twitter bag of people being mad at Pride of Detroit again, but it is pronounced as, as Ibrahim, we've learned. He says it himself as that. <laughs> oh, Ibrahim. All right. Because, yeah, I tried yeah. to I tried to say it before and I got my butt handed to me. So I'm not. I, I buy no, no. Like, I, I know it's usually like Ibrahim, but like, I, I guess he says it as Ibrahim. And as someone who grew up with the last name, and gets butchered all the time. I will default to the man. <laughs> this is facts. This is facts. But I think I think he's going to. I think he's going to have a huge preseason, and it's going to make it hard on mm. a lot of people. Um, so he was yeah, real think, special in college before that Achilles injury. He was real mm. something. But he he to me like from the little stuff that I was that, that people were I've been sneaking out from the OTAs where I see him, you know, run. He looks slower. I, I will say that he looks a little bit slower. But hey, who's who to say? Nobody can tell. 
he had 1,600 yards last season after his injury. He's he's not done. He he doesn't need speed. He is a truck. He'll How many carries run over you? A lot. He is a bell cow. <laughs> a lot. But still, it is a lot. Let's go to a more general question. Um, one of cool down rounds, and I think it's quite interesting to take a step back and take. Brad Holmes and Dan Campbell, the era so far, and, and have a look at how this has been done compared to other roster building techniques. He asks, how has a five-year contract, I think it was six, actually, but he said five, how has this long-term contract influenced the way that uh, Holmes and the Lions have operated in the roster building so far? What do you think about this? Because often it's a, it's a I've got to turn this around quickly, right? But it feels like this has been a, a measured approach. I don't know. I, I I don't think it's had that big an impact. I think they've still, I think they've still gone after the players who they think were right to build a team around. So foundational players in that first draft, obviously nice that Sewell fell to them, but I don't think they've gone in a different direction. I think you could even say the fact that, um, again, not to bring up positional value, but the fact that um, Brad Holmes did this already shows that he's willing to kind of push his chips in. Um, and in reality, if we hadn't turned that season around last year, there'd be a lot of people calling for someone's head. So say we'd only won three or four games last year, regardless of them being on, on long-term deals, I think there would have been a lot of call to to say maybe Campbell isn't it or something like uh, that. And there was at one and six, he got the vote yeah, yeah. of confidence. So yeah. I mean, So I, in general, I don't think it's had that big an impact. I don't think they've... I agree it's, it's appeared measured, especially in those first couple of years, but I think that's just how it's played out rather than being a tied to their contract rates. I, th I think what you would do with that question is you would sort of ask back, how would they have done it different if they were trying to win now? And you kind of look at it and, you know, this team was awful. They inherited a non-team when they got here, apart from, you know, a few good bits on the offensive line, a few bits here and there, but for the most part, they inherited nothing. So how would they have won now in the draft since then? I mean, I guess would they have tried to trade back, get more picks, get more youngsters or, but I don't know. It, it, I like Tom, it, I think it feels, it does feel accelerated, I guess, because he's been trading up in drafts and giving away picks. He's not been going for quantity. He's been going for quality and they've built it that way. And then this year they've gone skill players because they've got the trench guys in it. I, I don't know how you would have done it differently. Um, from where we were because i mean you're not going to give jared goff tons of flashy receivers year one here are you when he comes and he's, he's in that you're not gonna you always always does first so i don't think you could have done it any differently personally I, I think this was the only way they were going to be successful but the only i don't think there was another way to do this i think and, and i i don't think that it i don't think that the question lines up to with the contract because they have always been in a win-now fashion. It's just that the heat has not been on in terms of it to be a win-now fashion. Like, they are understanding this is going to be a rebuild process, but they have always been in a win-now. They have made moves to try to set themselves up to be successful year after year after year. It's been a domino effect of that. I think the real thing is, is you need to look at what really changed, and it was the ability to take a guy who was a former player in Chris Pillman who came up with some some moxie to create a board of former players and people who know what they're doing and hire people who can get to them the result that they want. They're trying to copy a lot of the, the same thing that they did from that 91 uh, team that, that was winning playoff games. 
And if you look at it, there's a lot of those same little characteristics coming out. I don't think the length of their contract has anything to do with it. Because there's one thing about the NFL I know is I don't care how long your contract is, it's not real. It's not real, which is why they fight for the guaranteed money. Makes perfect sense. I, I don't think you can add much more to that. So I'm going to move it on to a question by El Morg on Twitter, who asks, is there more pelt-up pressure than beating the Chiefs or failing with all of the media hype surrounding the Lions on the TV world stage. So, can there be any bigger shift than possibly beating the Chiefs on week one or getting blown out by them? Anything in between kind of feels pretty neutral or even impressive, but the the shift in possibilities there really could impact the season for the Lions, right? I If I can speak from... And I know Jeremy's pulling out the bingo card and yelling at me right now for bringing up... Uh, my day job working national syndicate media for sports in, in America, but there have been a good number of voices during that scheduling release who were very loud and talking about why do the lions get opening day? And they heard the comments from the NFL director of the scheduling about how the lions deserve it. And they took that in a very negative way. They did not feel like the lions deserved to get opening day. I believe that as much as there, it the Lions are a very sexy team for younger national analysts, for people like Mina Kimes, who like the idea of the rising story. However, this industry, especially on the national level, is also staffed by a lot of people who see a rising story and will gleefully respond when that thing suddenly gets curb stomped. So, yes, it would be very bad for the Lions to get blown out. It would be... I, I don't think in a long-term picture it would mean anything, but I think you will see it trickle down. There will be a bit of a spook when it comes to, oh, this might have just been for fraudulent. On the other hand, it is the Chiefs. It is at home, so you can wave that off to a degree. Now, the other way around it, the Lions win against the Chiefs. The Kool-Aid's going to overflow. Like At that point, it's like, okay, wow, they just which it really shouldn't because we've seen these opening Thursday schedule opening games against Super Bowl champions as they're getting their rings and everything, long ceremonies. It throws them off a lot of times. And odd results can happen. I've seen plenty of Super Bowl champions lose their first game of the season. It throws the hell on to them. I don't know how the Chiefs will like the ideas like, hey, you lost the Detroit Lions to open the season. That should sting. But it will mean that some people will then start waving those pom-poms a lot harder for the Lions. I think both would be a massive overreaction. It, it's it's a slow and steady thing. I, I will probably be more afraid if they're like 0-3 than if they lose to the Chiefs. Yeah. I, yeah I, 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 sorry, go, go, on, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, thank you. I, I, I was, was going to do a quick add-on to just say that, you know, I think you hit the nail on the head when you talk about how the media would turn it in the heartbeat, but I think the bigger issue shouldn't be if they go out and get blew out by the Kansas City Chiefs. I think it'll be written off as you lost to the defending Super Bowl champs. What would be the bigger story is, is if you go out and you beat the brace off the Chiefs and then now you start losing to the rest of them bums afterwards. Oh, then the firestorm starts. Now all the trouble comes in. The Kool-Aid all of a sudden loses sugar. It's just food coloring and water and everybody's <laughs> all agitated. So, I mean, yeah, I I think they need to go out and win the game. If they win it convincingly, cool. But you have to repeat. You need a fast mm -hmm. start. You need a winning record. You should be going into the uh, the bye week 
with a winning record. And if you're not going into the bye week with a winning record, yeah, they're going to blame first Aaron Glenn. Then after Aaron Glenn, they're going to go down the pipeline to Dan Campbell. And after Dan Campbell, they'll finally get to the real culprit. But at the end of the day, I think they need to make sure that they win that game and people understand that, look, be patient, but they got to win more games after. I, I agree with that. I will only add real quick and then I'll let Ann get in here. I apologize. But no, um, number number one, I think the blame goes would go to DC first, just because I feel like I, I had seen some people already try to stoke some flames, including someone who I consider to be my mentor, but sometimes has incredibly bad takes talking about <laughs> how Dan Campbell probably should have been fired in year two, which he was wrong. He's always Whoa. wrong about that, but I'm going to keep... I'll keep uh, respecting him because I get to steal his drums and I give him all the flats when we go out for wings. But, but it's I, a good deal. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, God, what was my other thing? Oh, right. But I mean, to, to a small point to what you're saying, like, I think I brought it up and I understand there's always reasons to it, but the lions have started slow the last couple of years. And that's always been my fear. And again, there's been ready reasons, logical reasons for them starting slow, but the last thing you want to see in year three is another slow start. Yeah, uh, I'm the same. For me, week one doesn't matter that much. And generally, regardless of what happens, as, as Chris already said, week one is, you know, it's a big opportunity for us, but weird things happen and, and you're getting the hardest game you can all year. I know it wasn't on for the scheduling stuff, but I said it on the one bug I did do. That first five weeks for me is is where it's at, not the Chiefs. But the games you've got after, you've got Seattle at home. We we want to be a playoff team this year. We want to make the postseason. They are, or they were last year, the measuring stick for like getting in right at the very bottom. They're the last team in. You know, you got them at home. We gave them a good game last year. We only lost by three points. You know, you, you have got to go out and win that game if you want to show that you're going to be doing something this year. I feel like that is a game that I would be concerned if we lost. The Falcons you've then got at home the week after. We we never have an easy game against the Falcons. You think back to TJ's last second touchdown. You think back to last year. You know, that's again very hard, but it's at home. And they're a team who've strengthened considerably in the offseason. And then you've got the Packers, who are the Packers. And it's at Lambeau, and that's the thing in itself. And then you've got the Panthers, who beat the Brakes off us last year. They're kind of the trauma of last season. And you've got to go out and show that you've learned your lesson. But again, you've got them at home. These are the teams you need to be beating to show that you want to be serious this year. And if, if you're coming out of that run with one win, I know it would be one and four as opposed to one and six last year, but, I, you know, I, every single alarm in the building would be off for me if that happened and they stayed healthy. You know, you need to be coming out of the, like Chris said, you need to start better. It's unacceptable having one win in the first four months of the last two seasons combined, like the two months of the season. You, you can't do that if you, you want to go put, into the You playoffs. just get put in a hole and then you're missing yeah. the playoffs when you should be yeah. making the playoffs at, at on week 18. It's just, it's it's not ideal. Exactly. And as much as I love the recovery <clears throat> from one and six last year, the, the pressure's kind of off then because no one expects you to do it. I want to see this team win under pressure. They, they have not won pressure games since Dan Campbell came here. And I hate to say that, but the, even the Packers won, it's kind of like, it's not no, that maxim- was house money. The Packers game yeah, is house money. It's completely. not maximum pressure. I need to see them win maximum pressure games. And for me, that Seattle game, regardless of what happens with the Chiefs, is a maximum pressure game that you've got to win if you want to show you're serious. And like I say, those first five weeks are critical. One win, I am all over the place. You've got to do better than that. And I don't think that's unreasonable to expect of them. Likewise, if we get three or four, 
geez, the Kool-Aid will just be coming down in a little fountain above me and I will be drinking from it. That is how good it could be. So those first five games matter the most. That'll make or break us. going to pivot here slightly and go to a question by Phil Coop on our WhatsApp group. And I'm going to go to Tom to start this one off. And he says, we've had two seasons of very aggressive play calling and head coaching. It feels like it's Campbell's DNA, but with expectations now higher, any chance we see more Jack Fox on offense this year? Well, throw the ball, perhaps. <laughs> and I, I kind of just want to say that kind of for myself, I do feel like that was a, a measure of like, we felt like we were out of games without this. So I don't know. I don't I don't feel like Fox is going to be a, a thing here. But what about just in general taking more chances, Tom? Do you think we're going to be a bit more conservative? No, not even a little. Uh, I... I actually, and this kind of ties into what you guys were just saying, I think if we go back to Carolina last year, that was an important learning experience. I think the playing with house money thing with Green Bay is completely true. Actually, I think if we did have a playoff spot on the line, you don't know how those players are necessarily going to react. Whereas without that pressure, they've now proven to themselves they can do it in a big spot. Now, they're probably not thinking, oh, we only did that because there wasn't a playoff spot on the line. They know that they went to Lambeau and won. So for me, I don't think Dan Campbell does anything differently. What's going to be really interesting is do we still convert on those fourth downs? Do we still have the same level of success when we are aggressive? Because a lot of that is going to come down to player execution as much as it is calling the right play. So that's the thing I'm most interested by. I would be genuinely shocked if we started seeing Campbell get more defensive. Um, now, over the over the two seasons, he's changed his approach in certain ways but if we actively saw him going away from that aggressive style that would be a huge flag for me it's more about how are these players going to react what's going to happen when we have one of those games let's say seattle and there is a fourth down to win the game are they still going to execute in the same way is it only going to be down to a couple of players you really trust like an Rod to get it done that's the bit which i'm fascinated by it's also the second year for ben johnson Full year, I should say. And that that does matter for something. As an offensive coordinator, you have to constantly be evolving your scheme. You have to constantly be evolving your playbook. And we're going to get to see just how creative, how adaptable he is. Because now people have the full first year plus whatever he was doing uh, after Anthony Lynn, now, now on tape. And you're going to have to start mixing it up. You're going to have to start getting very unpredictable. And you look at the skill players they brought in with like Gibbs and, you know, Monty's here and can do what he can do. But even like Antoine Green, a deep field threat there. So you're going to start using him. The team's going to expect you to use him. It feels like they've given him options to just get even more creative this year. So you would expect him to just go straight out for it. Because that's what that's what the Chiefs do. They just keep doing new wacky ways on offense. You're like, what the, what the hell are they doing? You can't adapt to it. They keep scoring loads of points on you. So it doesn't matter if the defense sucks. Just keep evolving. I think that's what they'll do. Yeah, I just think I think it matters more for the defense than anything of the Detroit Lions. I think if you go back and you look at last year, if you just did it based off the offense, we probably got another four games, right, that we won. But the reality is, is our defense was hot garbage. And we need to see a, a, a 15 to top 20 defense uh, if we're going to have any success. Because the only way I see us losing is because our defensive problems were never really fully addressed. And it's, it's one of my biggest gripes with our what our general manager um, and why I I I'll stand on it. Like, look, we we we've, we've added one guy in the draft um, and Aiden Hudson. That I'm like, okay, he's he's that guy that people want. But you know, your first free agent high hire was 
Chauncey Gardner Johnson. And I, I just I I I don't see us losing games because of offense. I see us losing games because of the defense. That's the only mm. way I see us taking L's. Mm. On Ben Johnson, I don't know if anyone's watched his presser yet from a few days ago, but the press were quite complimentary to his genius traits or, you know, like kind of they were calling him a mercurial talent and all this sort of thing. And did you see them ask him about like whether there were going to be any new plays and he was like just quietly smirking and trying to hide it? Did anyone see how he gave out two smiles that were just impossible to miss for of a course, half Of course second. he's going to be more, because it's a dumb because. I don't of want course. to call it a dumb question. But, but, you said it right, you it's a dumb question. It's a dumb question to ask. It is, hey, but journalists have to ask new jump. plays or just come out with the same old stuff? Yeah. yeah, I'm coming out with the same old stuff. Come on, people. Yeah, it's a journalist's job sometimes to ask dumb questions. I will never fault a dumb question in a pool, but it is a, uh, yeah, no, like in football, it's a, it's a vulgar die. Like he's, he has, he has to have new plays. As I said, everything's on tape now. That's not new plays, but it betrays him. I think it, he's it's, like it's one yeah, of the I worst. Do. It's yeah, one of the worst do. indictments when you come out of a game and the opposing defense is giving quotes to the press saying, "We knew what they were going to call." We've seen that in the past here in Detroit, even sometimes with uh, certain other older offensive coordinators. But that happens every now and then. The NFL, it's like the 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 defense gets to say, "Hey, we know what you're we know what you're calling. We we know what you're well, calling." Well, under like the that, de- that is that is a bad sign. <laughs> Nobody wants to be that OC that has the opposing defense calling your plays. Well, under the deep dark ages of the previous regime, who shall not be named, Matt was calling plays on stream by like the verbiage they were using. So <laughs> when one of us is calling them out, it's kind of it, it kind of gives out well, how bad. That, it is, that wasn't I mean, even rocket science. That was no. kill kill by Stafford was a run to the left every bloody time for two years. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not, but it's, not, I, it's not his fault. But but I agree with Luke. It it to talk about Johnson, but it's Glenn who's kind of the one who kind of needs to evolve his playbook this year. And I, I can't remember where I said, but I said it somewhere. If he's not for me, if he's not got that defense middle of the pack, like sixteen or above this year, I don't think it's a question of whether he's going to get a head coach job somewhere. I think it's a question of we need to decide when we're going to fire him because I think after three years. And what they've given him this year to work with and how much draft they've accumulated, I think middle of the pack is like the least reasonable expectation for it, really. So Luke's right. It's got to get better. And, you know, middle of the pack is minimum expectation for him. They've stuck by him, and now he needs to start repaying it. Okay, so let's make that a question. If 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 we have a, a 20th-ranked defense, is Aaron Glenn on the hot seat? I would wave goodbye. I think uh, after three probably, years, probably probably not mid season, but end of season, there would probably be some reviews. And to be honest, he might still be getting like just because of his his pedigree, he might still be getting head coaching uh, looks. But yeah, if it's at twentieth at that point, you probably want to start looking for other options. I don't think for one bit if they're if they got a twenty ranked defense and they are winning games and they're winning the division, they go into the. He ain't losing a single job. The only job anything he's gonna do is gain a head coaching spot off of that move because that's a significant improvement from dead last, dead last. Okay, like I'm sorry, the the, the evidence speaks for itself. If he has a, tw- a top twenty defense, he's fine. Just look at the Kansas City Chiefs. It ain't like they had this top five, top ten defense. They had a top twenty something defense and succeeded. Now at one point it kicked up a notch, 
But overall, I don't think he's going to be in trouble. Now, if you start talking about them being more like at 25, he's done. He is absolutely cooked because I feel like he's already been set up to be the scapegoat for who gets fired first. Like they, They're working it down. They started off with the offensive coordinator with Lynn. Now they're going to go down to uh, Glenn. And then by the time you look up, they'll be going to Dan Campbell, which then means that they'll be trying to offer that job to Ben Johnson, if we're lucky. And it's just no. The only way I see us losing this year is defense. Lynn deserved it, though, Luke. He, he absolutely deserved I getting grossly, kicked. I grossly I know you disagree, but... And, and, and just for Glenn's defense, I know the stats here say dead last, but we all saw not a dead last defense for the second half of last year. We yeah, all well, saw a defense played, that was nowhere near. I, I know, I know, but... <laughs> I think I don't think it represents the facts. I think you saw just how good it could be last year, and you've got to expect that again. I, I feel like I feel like you know I feel like when you look at a lot of it, and you you start to look at it overall, I think we sometimes are overlooking the fact that a lot of the teams that we played down that stretch was high garbage. And I hate to say the truth, but the truth is the truth. They were high garbage. Um, when you go through, you look at those teams down the stretch. Who's the one that you really thought like, oh, this guy, this team could do something? Yeah, we beat the Giants. There was never really anything special to write about. Okay, we, we we beat up on Jacksonville, but look at that division. They had garbage over there too. Um, we didn't really we didn't play anybody, and so we got hyped over a record that really we just can't keep doing sample size. To me, I look at it like this: that's like that's like you date somebody and you ask them are they cheating on you right now, and since so they right in front of you, they're technically not cheating on you right now, but you know they cheated. It's a, it's an insult. So to me, no, we. We are what we are with the numbers set you are at the end of the season. We were we were not good. In your analogy, what what's Saquon Barkley in this? Because that guy was hot when he came into the Detroit game, and we shut that that run game down. And you talk about Jacksonville; that team went and won a playoff game, like, and that was no bad team. And they're getting stronger this year. Look at what Jacksonville are right now. They're they're like dark horses in the AFC. Like it's better than this, what you think. This, this, this is how I look at it, right? This is how I look at it. You have games where some teams are going to get up for people, and some teams are not going to get up. However, when you overlook at the overall scheme of the teams, you look at the Giants, and you look at um, um, the the those those are not teams that people were afraid of. Yeah, they want a playoff game. I don't care about them winning the playoff game. When you look at those teams, they were not very good teams, and I'm sorry. No matter how you slice it, the, the the one team who we really should have beat the brakes off of did us dirty in a whole half, and that was the Panthers. So we really should have just destroyed them. So you want to if you want to say, hey, give them give them the game for the Giants, and you feel good about that, then let's explain why we lost to the Panthers. Any given Sunday is what exactly it means. Any given Sunday. However, those were not good teams that we played down the stretch. Fair, I can't argue. It's 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 hard, isn't it? Like the thing is, at the end of the day, we were losing games that we should have won early on. So the fact that you can convert against teams is good too. So like the first Vikings game was an absolute travesty. I was on the road driving to Vegas during that game, losing my mind because we went from a winning position, chucking the towel, Vikings are done, to losing that game. And we could have easily done that in the second half of the year, but they learned, and that's a big deal. Yeah, and, and that's one of my concerns for the season, though, is have we done enough to stop the mobile quarterback 
and the rushing attack of these teams. Many of the teams that we played down the stretch, like I hate to say it, like the Jets, like come on. You know, like they best weapon wasn't even on the field. If Brees Hall was there, I don't even think we win that game because they played us extremely tough with Zach Wilson. Just saying. What is it with Jets quarterbacks in this damn team? <laughs> I know. It's just like we all like all the way back to Chad Pennington. I can go back to even further than that, but we were just you remember when I, it was Vinny Chatterverdi? I I well I, as as a USC alum, I am still not over Sam Darnold, who I watched play Arizona. I'm like, this man is throwing off his back foot. What the hell? Like, how is how are people talking about him as the first overall pick? And he it's the only game he dominated was against the Detroit Lions. The only game he ever dominated was against the Detroit Lions. I don't understand it. It is it, it but it's always that defense. Everything if you go back through the history, I'm a big guy for the history. The history, mm-hmm. look at when we were winning. Every year we were winning when we when we had winning opportunity stuff. The defense was stout, and it and it was all up the middle. You had a you had a good center, you had a quarterback that was mad at best, but you had the running back, you had receivers, you had tight ends, you had you had that. And then on the defensive side, you had you had you had Jerry Ball, and you had Chris Spillman, and you keep going up. You had Benny Blaze, and then you go to the outside, you got Crockett, and the list goes on and on and on. So, um, you know, it it just it just is what it is, and so to me. Um. Yeah, I, it, the only way we're losing, I'm telling everybody right now, just don't look at Aaron Glenn. This is not an Aaron Glenn issue. This <laughs> is a general manager issue. Have they done enough to address that mobile quarterback in rushing attack? Because I don't know why people are not talking about it, but Justin Fields had almost 400 yards rushing by himself against the Lions. It's That's crazy. Mm-hmm. It's an uncomfortable point. But the thing is, with with 30 holes to fix and 20 picks or whatever it is over three, I, I, I'm picking the numbers out of my ass. But like, you know what I mean? When you don't have the, the picks to fill all of the holes that you have, you have to prioritize something. And if you have a 20th ranked offense and 20th ranked defense, you're coming dead last in the NFL. So sometimes you have to focus on one side of the ball than the other. Like, so they went and focused on offense. They got some fundamental pieces, bar Aiden Hutchinson. They were like, okay, we're going to focus on this side of the ball. And, you know, if you have a top five ranked offense and 25th ranked defense, or what were we last year? 30, 31st or something. I don't know what it was, but we had a more than 500 record. So, you know what, when you focus on one side of the ball, you give yourself a chance to win by having something to hang your hat on. And then when you come back and say, oh, well, we haven't done enough in defense. Okay, yeah, but that was by design. Like, you're going to be criticizing the guy for doing something he intended to do. So if he went all in on defense, we could win that way too. But then we'd be saying the opposite point for the offense and we haven't given golf No, I, I, I disagree for, for two reasons. And I think it's not a matter of going all in one way or another. It's a matter of you say you had to draft capital. We've made more excuses for Brad Holmes than we have for anybody else. And I'm just saying, at the end of the day, when he got here, the first thing he noticed that was the biggest problem with his team was defense. And we have yet to really address it. We're starting to get into it. Great. But I'm just looking at it and saying, okay, let's be honest. You know, when you got here, in, in the worst part of that team was defense. And my thing was, he he ended up he ended up on a lot of offensive players to double down with golf. I'm fine with that. I don't have an issue with it. But I'm just saying, you you didn't make the playoff because your team couldn't score. You made the playoff because your team lost a tiebreaker to a team that 
who running back had his third best career day to date and his second best career day to date against the Lions. And 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 Rashawn Penny, like that stuff shouldn't happen. It should not happen. Like if we get if we get beat by Walker or you know, okay. It was Rashawn Penny. I, you you score forty, you score forty five, give up forty eight. You you have the lead against Minnesota, give up a deep ball. Like I, this is these are the things that I'm looking at, and this is why I'm not so quick to just jump down the throat of Aaron Glenn because I'm thinking to myself, look at those last two seasons, and and tell me that he did enough to address a lot of those problems, even this year. You know, people they're going to start they they're cool now, but they're going to really question him. If this doesn't work, and they're going to say, oh, he decided to not go with positional value and all that trash. So I'm just saying, let's try to keep it in perspective. Because if you ask yourself, how do you see the Lions not having success this year? You're going to probably tell yourself it's defense. Or Goff getting hurt. That's the big one. <laughs> Goff gets hurt, y'all have none. I think, I think Hinder, Hinder Hooker is closer to being healthy than people think he is. That's just me. I could be wrong. I don't know, Chris. Have you heard murmurings of Hooker, Chris? Anything like Because people are saying he might not be fit all season. Some are saying he's ready to go. If they said, oh. I think I, I think Jamison William kind of gives the template for that. They're going to take him slow, but I think yep. later in the year, they will probably you'll probably see some action. I still believe they see him as a longer-term investment. It's a bit of a wild card, what he could be. And to be honest, I, I, I've, talked, I've talked at length that this could be kind of whatever. I, I hate to use the mystery box words on it but like bridge quarterback someone be- some a full-time starter who knows but i think they're going to they're just going to take it slow he's been very involved uh on the sidelines he can't practice he, w- he wasn't able to practice during rookie minicamp but he was still very involved with learning the schemes learning everything he could uh making meaningful communications with his offensive teammates i can i believe that will continue through mandatory mini camp that we're going to have coming up here as well. He seems very dialed in. So I, I don't know if he plays this year, but he's acting like he's going to get a week one start. And that's something I really like to say. It's I, I, if I had to put money on where he starts, I'd probably say like, I don't know, week 14 or so is when he maybe, or I mean, I shouldn't say week 14. Uh, what, what, what do you think they'll have the division in the bag? Like, Probably like Ooh, week, week, week 17 or 18. Yes, week please. 17 or 18. I'm not no. saying week 14. Give Hell, me a break. Yes. I just got off a flight. <laughs> uh, but, no, Chris, Chris no, just like, betrayed his true feelings there. This is what yeah. he wants to say. Well, I mean, people people say I have an unhealthy hatred of Jared Goff, which I don't think is true, but I guess I'm just proving proving their point. If we sum it up by week 15, there's four games to go, which means we're, <laughs> we're five games Nobody's ahead done in the that. division. Nobody does that. <laughs> Nobody does that, by played. the way. Nobody oh, does that. Man. I don't know where my brain went. I just went back to the nineties or something when you only played 15 games. But, Pride but of Detroit but is I, reporting I the headline lines podcast. <laughs> Jeremy's just put in the Twitch chat headline lines podcast predicts lines to clinch division by week 14. Jesus and Christ. gonna give a big, <laughs> big shout out to the biggest supporter of the show, which is Jeff Hurley on YouTube with a super sticker for $20. Appreciate you, man. That's amazing stuff. Thank you, yeah. thank you, thank you Luke, for that. Luke, I'm curious on your point there. I'm curious on your point there that you were going towards. I, I, the reality is, is this. When you look at Hendon Hooker, right, like, it, it, there mm-hmm. is no reason for me to tell the media or anybody else that, oh, he's good to go, he's ready to go, because all this is going to do is create contention between the fans. The minute Jared Goff... Quarterback bad, controversy. Yep. 
as soon as he throws one bad pass, put him in. We know this to be the fact because go all the way back from 91. When Eric Kramer came in, everybody didn't care. We was winning. The next year, they were like, get rid of this guy. Scott Mitchell and Pete, everybody can go. You, right? you don't even need to go that fast. We were doing that with Kellen flipping more over hey, Matt go, Stafford. Hey, hey, I was going to work my way up. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm sorry. I, I, I didn't mean to j- jump to chapter three when you were on no, chapter but, one. My, but, my apologies. But you see my point, though, right? Like, we did it with Sean Hill. We did Every time the backup is better, there's got to be a – Joey Harrington, we don't care. Listen, they put Chris in. Right, it didn't matter. Whoever the backup was was better. And my thing is, is it's funny to me how they got the guy on there. They fought like hell to get this rule changed because they know that if they put him on the pup, he can't practice. But if they get that rule changed, they get to let him keep practicing, keep developing, keep learning. And guess what? Nobody can touch him. It's a brilliant move from from top to bottom. And I just think that if push comes to shove and something happened to golf. They would be like, well, I guess he's ready. <laughs> I just I I'm watching little things that he's doing, the, the throwing motions, the way he's turning stuff, and I'm like, it don't look like he's going through anything. Even when they went to the little rookie, um the rookie thing about Jiggy, where he you see him on the field and he's doing a little motions and stuff. I'm like, look at him, he's stepping up on that foot, putting for, like I said, does that mean he's gonna be taking off and running? No. But do I think he's as hurt as J Mo was? No. I think J Mo was really hurt. Especially given the time of when it occurred uh, with the injury, his injury happened so early. It's been a lot of time between when his injury happened and a game five, six, seven, eight, nine, or ten. So I think he'll be just fine. When he's talked to, I think he's been cognizant about the time it's going to take him to learn the pro system as well. Coming from a very, I don't want to just dismiss it as a college system because I feel like college system is more than anything. But I think what Tennessee was running obviously couldn't work in the NFL. I think he's no, cognizant that, was, that... that he's. Is that no, that's enough. Say, no, you're right. That was backyard football. Yeah, which is fine. Plenty of guys do that, but not all of them like take the time to learn, relearn the pro systems. And I think what has made really worked me up because I was not a fan of Hooker going into the draft pros- uh, process. And I thought, at least, all right, Detroit's a perfect landing spot for him. Then I started to hear him talk and listen to what he was doing. It's like, okay, he understands the road that's in front of him. That kind of cognizance is, is half the battle if you're going to make it in the NFL. Yeah, absolutely. He knows he's got the learning curve to go. But equally to Luke's point, if he's fit and he's just a little behind on learning the system and they've got a choice between him or Sudfeld, they're going Hooker, surely. If Hooker can go, because the rushing upside will give you a way to win games, especially if Goff is only out for a few games. If Goff is done for the season then maybe it's a bit more of a wild card because maybe you're done. But if Goff's out for like two games, three games, you can win with Hooker, but I don't think you can with Sudfeld. Plus, plus you got to look at it like this. The The biggest thing is, is this. I believe had they not did the rule change, they were going to cut Sudfeld and let him be the backup. I, I, I co-heartedly believe that because I'm telling you right now, when you listen to Brad Holmes talk about Hendon Hooker, he doesn't talk about him like he's a third-round pick. He talks about him like he was always a first-round talent that fell to the third round. He talks about how he showed poise and he went to a game and he's like, hey, this guy's on the sideline getting the receivers together, telling the linemen, good job, congratulating the defense. Come up the you know, like, like he's doing those things. And to me, did y'all lose me? 
No, 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 no you were good. I, I what okay. was the what was the what was the wailing in the background? Someone <laughs> someone had some fun. So I have I have two ringers. I have one for my job and then I have one for my supervisor. When it wails, that's my that's way of mocking my supervisor. I feel like she just wails when she wants to explain something. <laughs> And so when that rung, when the phone rung, I just I rejected it because I'm like, technically, I, I'm on lunch break. So you can't technically ask me to do it, <laughs> even though I'm on call. So that's what it was. Fair enough. Fair enough. I, okay. I do wonder when when Hooker's fit and healthy. You know, we were talking about Ben Johnson and his use of players on offense, but would there be some sort of willingness to to bring Hooker in on packages and use him that way because his skill set is so different? No, not no, because for what? For what? Let everybody think he's hurt, right? Like, like for what? There's, in, in fact, think about it like this. Imagine you going into a game. Hell, that's, God forbid, knocking on wood and everything else we can, crosses and we burning sage and everything else, right? Let's say Jerry Goff goes down a week before the, the playoff starts and Hooker got to come in and, and play that game. And let's say everybody's sitting there looking like, oh, we got Nate Stubfield and they come out with a starter's Hooker. The team's going to be like, what? Oh, this should be fun. He's a rookie. It's not that big of a deal. Blah blah blah. But if you watch Hooker, this, this I haven't seen a quarterback with this much poise in a long time. This dude don't look like he rattled by pressure. He doesn't like. You don't have any idea how hard it is to go to go into any system and only have like five turnovers for a whole career. That's nuts. That's what I mean. You know, will they trust him to come in and run packages with Goff healthy? If you're on a third down, four yards out, and you want to bring him in and and at least offer the threat that you're going to do rush with the quarterback, it seems like something Ben might do. I, I would be shocked if they did it. I think, I think, like I said, I think he's been hurt long enough that he should be healed by the time we hit the middle the middle of the season. And I think with J with J Mo, you got to understand he has to run. He has to. So his process is going to be a little bit longer because he uses his legs a whole lot more. The quarterback. You know, can I sit in the pocket, sidestep, left and right, up and down, and throw the ball? Yeah, I think he can do that. And I think, I think, I just can't wait for Hen Hooker to get the chance because once he gets the chance, I think everybody's going to just be like, "Who? Finally, who? We don't need a quarterback. It's going to be, it's going to be jump for joy because he's going to be that good." Like I'm, I, he was my number one quarterback coming into this draft. So I think, I think, I think, had he not got hurt, he would have been a top five pick had he not been hurt i can't go i think he could have easily been i i think he could have easily been quarterback three is where i would probably go he, he obviously the learning curve a little bit more but i think i i think i think he would probably have beaten richardson because richardson is obviously much more of a prospect hooker you you commit to a bit of a prospect but he seems a little more pro ready than 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 richardson so no i i can't i can't disagree with that entirely yeah. i saw what hooker was before that tear and at quarterback three, if you if you look at how the draft lined up, where you have people jumping up for quarterbacks, if he was if let's say he was quarterback four, he's still in the he's still in the first round talent. Like there's no way you can overlook the fact that this guy, the injury is what scared people off because they're like, we need you to play now. That's the problem. They needed him to play now. Those teams who went up first, mm-hmm. the Panthers, they didn't have time to wait for you to to develop or to be healthy. You you go to the the Texas, they didn't have time for that, right? Like just just look at it, but I guarantee you, had he been healthy, they'd have had time today because what he did was impressive. Not just at at Tennessee, but at Virginia Tech as well. Let me pivot as we've been going for a couple of hours now, and just go to a final question before we sign off. And to Luke's point about defense and about trying to 
tool up possibly and give him the best chance we can and thinking about that run defense being potentially a weakness and we've all mentioned it on our respective shows recently but it's a bit of fun Brent DeWitt asks or says and asks love the fact that our D-line coaching staff is preaching violence should we bring back and Dominican Sue to mentor our young guns boys bring him back oh my bring him back come on let's do it Chris come on Oh my! <laughs> it's it's going. It's a perfect Chris, marriage Chris, of us actually being a contender. His wage Chris, demands. You want me to falling. go first on this? They're not gonna like my take on this one. I I I don't even know where to even start with this because I love Indama Kansu. I think that he is probably one of the most fantastic defensive talents I've seen play this game. I think he was wrongly robbed of a Heisman. On the other hand, Sue, I don't want if if they're being mentored by Sue. I also want to make sure we're not drawing the same kind of flags that Sue drew as well. Like this is, this it's, it's kind of, this is kind of a double-edged sword. We're really just swinging around wildly here right now. Like I, Sue, I, I, it's hard, right? Because I think when, I think fans, when they hear Sue, they have a bit of a bad taste. Cause I think he left this town a little bit, a little bit on the, on the raw side, just because he was chasing the money, which is fine. A player has to chase money at the end of the day. And he wasn't going to get paid by Detroit. Um, but yeah, no, like it, it it sounds fun. I know we're having a bit of a kumbaya moment with Calvin Johnson. I'd love to have the kumbaya moment with Indomitian Sue. Sue seems like a very chill and, and nice human being. I don't know what gets in his head when he's in a game, though. And to be honest, if we're going to be mentoring, I just hope that uh, the nasty side of that game isn't what gets in there. <laughs> I, I think it's funny because every time we think of bringing a player in, the key word that pops up behind it is mentor. What make you think these grown men want to come in and mentor other people? This is they, they take very special people who want a role as a coach or something down that road, you know, to learn something new that comes in and mentor. Everybody that you bring in is not coming here to be a mentor, right? I've never not everyone can be a teacher. Not everyone can be a professor, exactly. right? Yeah, exactly. And so you look, you look at the famous quote from Brett Favre when they when they brought in Aaron Rodgers. Hey, are you going to teach him? He's like, it's not my job. You know, I, I can care less. And so to me, you know, do, do I want Sue back? I, I, listen, I'm going to tell you how much I love Sue, right? Y'all going to think I'm crazy. I love Sue so much that I was willing to trade Kevin Johnson for draft capital and find me another receiver. That's how much <laughs> I wanted to keep Sue. Because the moment Sue left, the defense went to the toilet. They did whatever they wanted, ran up the gut, ran left, ran right. Like, like Ziggy can only do so much. It was like, good grief. And with Kevin Johnson, I'm like, great receiver, but I'm like, receivers come a dime a dozen. I'm just thinking at this junk, this point of the Lions direction, I don't think Sue wants to be here, and I don't think Sue should be brought here under the idea of a mentor. This may be controversial, but I don't think we need a mentor in there. In that deal. Agreed. If you look, if you yeah, look you at the coaches, you don't need a mentor. Yeah, yeah. If you look at the breakdown of that line, I mean, you look at the edge positions, you have your vets, you've got Charles and Romeo in there, then you've got your younger guys, Pascal, Aiden, Houston, all these guys. You, you've got the guys in there to lead that room already. And Romeo's invested in this team, Charles invested in this team. And then you look in the interior, you've got your young guys, but you're bringing Bugs back, who is quite clearly a leader in the interior there. You've got Benito, who's a more seasoned player in there. And then you've got your young guys, your Aleem Benito. So I think you have the right dynamic in there already. And I think you've got to let them grow and carry on developing. And, and I think you can. And you've got the coaching in there. I mean, they've got the new coach from Penn State. 
known for creating great defenses. You've got a high level of coaching, someone who can do it with these young guys. I don't think you need a mentor in there taking snaps. I think we've got plenty of experiencing. And and this is just a natural process of waiting for these young guys to keep be- getting better and better. And, and they will. So, you know, I, I think it's just naturally going to get better as well. We, we don't need a Sue in there for me. I, I wouldn't want to see that happen. Just keep building young. Right. We have been going a long, long time. So Ooh. I think it's time to to slowly sign off. And Luke, I know you've been struggling to stream a little bit recently, but I know you, you're you always going to have something in the works. So how's your season treating you? And, and what, what have you got coming up? Uh, I got the, uh, I'm going to call it the Luke's cohort truth or DeAndre Hopkins. Coming up real soon. Um, we gonna we gonna we gotta nip this stuff in the butt. <laughs> we, we gonna have some fun with that. I also got also got some conversations that you know some things that can be made. The Lions have an opportunity for a lot of history to be made this year and to break a lot of uh, curses. Um, and then ultimately, you know, just much of the same where I let you guys come in, talk to me, tell me how you feeling, and and, and fire off. But uh, yeah, I've been busy because it's been basically prom and graduation season, and I have a lot of nieces and nephews and godchildren, and they have basically taken up all my time. And um, uh, I do I do photography uh, as uh, as fun, and I've basically been there photographer for every freaking event this whole entire few months. It has been absolutely nuts. So, uh, but I'm proud of all of my uh, nieces and nephews and my my godchildren who. Uh, graduated from high school to all of you. I know they're listening right now. So, hey, shout out to you all. Congratulations. I, and I'm so, so proud of you. Um, but, yeah, I, I got a lot of things coming down the pipeline. I'm getting ready to get back to it soon uh, because this prime season is over. I got one more graduation next week, and I'm officially cut loose. And, Chris, POD cast coming up. And uh, yep. it's going to be a good one. I'm about to fire up the pre-show right now, actually. And yeah, we're going to be talking about minicamp, but I know the uh, Jamison Williams conversation, um, as much as I think we have spent our Slack channels grousing about how we don't want to cover it uh, any longer, it is come back up again. I know there was a great piece from The Athletic talking about players on gambling, about this technicality, so we're going to talk about that. Uh, but yeah, I just literally just got back in LA into, uh, you know, I just finally saw my one-year-old nephew for the first time in my life which was wonderful with my Congrats family. on that uh, was, thank you yeah it was my mother's 65th birthday so i made a quick one back to toledo but now i'm back here in la the cat is mad so i will probably dance a lot with ruby on stream and uh just gear up for this show we got coming up it's right back down to the right back down to the grindstone for it, it never stops for us we will be there. And thank you to Tom, who had to jump off very quickly, feeling slightly under the weather. So I hope you feel better, Tom. And great to see you this weekend, man. It was a, an absolute cracker. Detroit GP was fun, too. Yeah, we got to watch that. We, we, this is how committed we are. We were watching the Detroit GP and the Michigan Panthers at the same time. Oh um, you know, like, former Lions legend Jonathan, uh, Jonathan Adams looked amazing. And Sage Surratt for that. I'll have to try to make the GP. I'll have to try to make the GP another year. I really wanted to. Like, again, getting off Belle Isle sounds fantastic, but I just was like, all right, I can't, I can't exactly drive myself up there. But I, I accidentally, I accidentally was just walking alone down there one day uh, and it was going on. And I totally forgot that they was doing it. I was like, oh, it's not going to start it. And I heard the car go by like, and and literally, 
literally panicked and was like, what the hell? And I, the next car went by, and I tell you the truth, I didn't, I don't even think I really saw what the car was, but other than the color, I, was like, I had no clue they were driving that fast around. Yeah, they took tracks. over Jefferson Street, I think. That was the that was the main straightaway, I believe. So Yeah. yeah. And also, yeah. I had no clue. Uh, just a quick shout as well to, to Jeremy Reisman and Kurt Seal as well. Thank you, everyone, for making our 200th uh, proper episode. I got another... to thank you guys. I have always been a big proponent of seeing NFL coverage go worldwide. I've Even when I was covering college football, I'm like, sports got to be like more like I, I grew up with the Olympics in my life. I love any sport that has an international community because I, I do think it makes any sport better. Like, I feel like basketball is, is made in, impressively better when you have guys like Jokic playing and people from all walks of life talking about it. And you guys are doing that with the NFL right now. And especially with the lions, a team I w- don't usually expect to go over there. And I guess that's the lasting power of uh Falcons lions and a last second field goal uh, that tried to be iced, I think, but uh, thank you guys. As always, as I said, the first time I joined you guys, it's an important thing you guys are doing and I love that you're doing it. Yeah, I, I second that. I, I second that. They they always talk about how I promoted them, but I went, I went, I was so impressed with how you guys like people don't realize what time it is currently for them. And the commitment is Ooh, real and they know everything that's going on. Like, like right. I mean, what time is it right now? Just, just so, so we can know oh, for the people who ain't keeping track. Be ready, be ready for the well, season. It's, it's gonna get even worse. Yeah, yeah, it will. So it's it's almost 10 p.m. now, but the kickoff for the for the Chiefs game will be half past one a.m. Ooh. See, and and they're going to be covering it like I like, and they Practical know monsters. everything. They know everything, and it's it's absolutely beautiful. I, I love what they do. I was I remember the first video I saw of them. I was like, who are they? And I just I just started posting their videos on my channel. Like, nope, everybody gets love. Chris, <laughs> everybody Chris, gets love. Chris was right. We, we are getting in the monsters and the caffeine. It's what four four regular Ooh. games. I think one of the preseason games is like one in the morning as well. We got attention. No, we got attention. Two of them. Oh, two of them are late. So yeah, one's prime time, but there's two late ones, which is just so annoying. <laughs> Don't do it to us for preseason, I, I, man. I thought I thought I have it rough getting up early on the West Coast after coming off an overnight, but I mean, just like wow, you guys. Well, I mean, we, we, we're gonna be wrapping up the season and uh, the wrapping up the division in week fourteen, aren't we? So we're gonna be getting lots of prime time <laughs> games if we're doing that. Jeremy, br- Jeremy, you bring that up, I will, I will come, I will fly right back to Detroit and kick your ass. <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy, don't do it. It's not worth the risk. <laughs> it's also not worth a thousand of dollars. I'm going to have to spend to do it too. <laughs> Just a, a shout out to the rest of the Royal Alliance guys as well for for making this show what it is. It's been absolutely terrific from the the starting five of us to all the way to now. Like the the commitment that these guys have shown, hopefully presenting the best side of the British fans. And if you've seen our draft shows, you know that we're not unique. That in this space for almost all the teams, there are really good guys over here doing good work. And if you haven't seen our draft shows and interviews with guys, you. Have a quick look and you'll find, I mean, the Seahawks podcast is fantastic. The Colts guy is amazing. The Giants are awesome. It's not unique over here. So there's very cool stuff. to meet them during the draft. And Absolutely. If, yeah. And, and if you want to see us in the flesh next year, we will be there at the draft. We're, we're, we're just about getting ready, ready to book flights now. So that's right. Yeah, I, think gonna, a, I think we've got a Roar of the Lions POD collab coming down the pike. At some point. Yeah, and, and we are and we are shipping over a container of mushy peas for y'all to eat. Oh my our God. pleasure! So. Absolutely not. Dump <laughs> that right in the Detroit River with all the other pollution. 
Right, that's going to do it for us. For everyone listening, thank you so much for making this what it is. You guys are the absolute best. You know where to find us. I'm not going to bore you with it. And and Chris and Luke, thanks for finishing this off with me. Royal Lions podcast coming back at you. College football podcast two coming up soon. But for now, let's go Lions. One pride. One pride. Mm-hmm.